Hey, it's Kristen, and you're listening to Rational in Portland. Rational in Portland. Thanks so much for joining us. I have two returning guests, but this time together, Eric Post and Derek Clevenger. Eric was on a long time ago when the podcast first started. And as everybody knows, uh, especially more recent listeners, uh, Derek Clevenger was on more recently to talk about all Oregon votes and open primaries. So they're back on this time together. It turns out that they know each other and are friends. And (laughs) because they're both really smart about a lot of different topics, I thought it would be really fun to have them both on together. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Yeah, it's actually good to see all of you in person. I know, it's good to see you too. never met you in person. Yeah, Yeah. it's great. I do want to point out, I think this is the first time we've hung out without alcohol involved. (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to mention that. (laughs) You know what I got right here now. I know, I haven't even drank since February, man. Yeah, Yeah, that's wild. And what what is that about? Is that like a health? Um, It's literally like this personal expression of what could I do if I got completely out of my own way? Right. Like if I didn't have that extra cocktail at the happy hour, if I actually went to the gym when I was supposed to, if I actually got good sleep, if I actually filled my body. So it was kind of this whole my whole project and business I'm working on. I was like, well, how could what could a man do if he really got out of his own freaking way? Right. And just kind of submitted to the process and didn't bring in the baggage of what, the way he used to be. So it's kind of like I'm trying to do stuff that I've never done before. So you got to got to be a person you've never been before. So I didn't want to have the extra kind of cloud over me. It's been, it's been awesome, actually. Besides, it's like a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Like. I love music concerts. I love parties. I love functions. I love being around mm-hmm. people. And it's just so social. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I like to have a good time. So to go now and experience people and events and situations stone cold sober is a completely new fun experience mm-hmm. for me. So it's been really, really fun, actually. And, and and as a side benefit, like my mind is so freaking clear and my energy is just off the charts. So there's been some side benefits I didn't expect, but it was just so yeah, so I haven't even drank since then. Though. I could what never do that. I'm that? doing the opposite. I'm seeing how much I can get done while <laughs> just be- staying in my own way. <laughs> yin yang, yin yang. You know what I mean? It takes all kinds, front back. No, it's it's. But I, you know, it, I was just gonna do it for a week or two, and just yeah. I just kept going and going. I was like, well, mm-hmm. I feel pretty good. Let's keep yeah. going. It's not like I drink all the time, but yeah. just, shit, you know, you have a drink or two, and you go have a meeting, you have a whiskey, and mm-hmm. like a good old fashioned, and you have another one, and now you've been an extra hour, and then it's another performance, yeah. just to get it done. So, man, my my performance is just off the charge my no, efficiency right now yeah so well he woke up at four this morning well, that, i'm not bragging about that because i would like to sleep a little bit more <laughs> but just not right now yeah but people who are tossing back like two or three whiskeys at night are not waking up at four probably and that's part of the uh, tell that was to that the military yeah i don't know i don't know yeah especially you gotta numb it somehow yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but most of those guys are Young and uh, right. I mean, are the old timers doing it too? Uh Yeah, it's a little bit different. Keeping up. I would see the the old timers. They just don't stop drinking. (laughs) The pickle, right? They just (laughs) they just don't stop. Professionals. Yeah. Yeah, The younger ones, they have to stop while they go run two miles or whatever, and Mm -hmm. you know, you get it done fast because you're still drunk for the night before and just (laughs) wanting it to end. (laughs) 
That was my experience, at least. Absolutely. <laughs> what, what inspired that, Eric? Because when you were talking about it, what was running... I'm a big, like, Peter Atiyah fan. Oh, yeah. Sure. Like, yeah, so he just released a book, and I think sort of via his book, he sort of exploded. But I was listening to him on his podcast, The Drive, for years and years before his book came out. Hmm. And he, that's... he Actually, one of his most recent episodes, he was talking about how alcohol... Like, we know it's a toxin... We know no amount of it is good for the body. And I was yeah. <laughs> listening to it with earbuds in my ear. I probably had a glass of wine sitting somewhere, sort of guiltily <laughs> mm-hmm. like doing the dishes, thinking to myself, yeah. But anyway, that that would be the type of thing that would inspire me. But was it something specific that inspired you? Yeah, to- there's, there's a, okay, I'll get real granular uh, before we talk any politics. What happened was I'd kind of been kicking it around doing it anyway. So I'm starting a company and I've taken on, taken on some investor money. And so this first time I've ever taken on somebody else's money to do something, I always funded my own projects. So the moment I did that, I had this like elevated sense of responsibility and I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to take this really, really serious. I want to get a great return for, for people that are trusting in me. And then what happened was my, my friend had a 50th birthday party. And so we went out that night and I told myself like, all right, no, no dark liquors, mm-hmm. just vodka, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. a little tequila. Keep it yeah. Keep light. it light. Yeah. Well, you have six or eight doubles, right? At a 50th birthday party and you're a little slow the next day. So I woke up the next day and I was like, dang, I'm supposed to take my daughter to the gym this morning and take my son and his buddy to the Portland auto shows mm-hmm. we go every year. And I just didn't feel that good. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and I laid in bed. I was like, man, all these times I've like congratulated my buddy to go do something. I'm like, let's go get a drink. And I had this visualization of like handing him a glass of poison. Mm-hmm. And it just hit me. I was like, why, why would I do that? Like, why wouldn't we go do something else? And so I just, it just that moment, it literally was that morning. I was like, I think I'm done drinking. Maybe it's for a week. Maybe it's forever. Maybe I don't know, but I'm just going to be done drinking right now. And it just kind of continued on and come to find out more and more people seem to be doing it mm. right now. It really seems to be kind of this, I think alcohol as a, as a, an entire industry is kind of losing its grip a little bit on society. You Which know? is weird because fentanyl seems to be completely taking over. I, yeah. I almost yeah. feel like, like alcohol has been like a kind of a comfort blanket for so many people for so long. And then you look at COVID bars being shut down post COVID, you know, even a lot of restaurants and stuff, not up, but like people aren't, aren't aren't desiring that blanket anymore they found other ways to occupy their time or other things to do but and weren't so, a lot of them drinking at home i mean they might have been but you also had other people who were like okay well i don't want to be inside so i'm going to be outside granted yes it's dumping rain on us nine months out of the on year so maybe that's more applicable in like arizona or right <laughs> true story california yeah it, it's, it's like this um you just start noticing when you have a shift in perspective you just notice well now when we're all hanging out we go to take a picture people want to prove that they're having fun and so they raise their like we're having fun look mm-hmm. at us we're drinking you know little stuff like that just start to start seeping and i'm not against alcohol I'm not just for me it's, it's been eye opening didn't notice didn't notice notice it before didn't it and it's part of just being like when you plugged into society you just don't notice that stuff you know when you're really kind of plugged in you just you have your blinders on because everybody's doing it you're on the flow mm-hmm. and to, so to have a little bit of awareness about what it really means what it really looks like what it really feels like um then you start making some changes yeah. that's all you know so that was one of mine so one of the things that was all I also thought was interesting was Dr. Tia just had a guy named Arthur Brooks on to talk about the science of happiness. And he's a social scientist and professor at Harvard. And he has this really interesting book about um, how to connect with people. And a lot of it involves um, data and mostly doing things like staying off of, frankly, social media and things like that and and connecting with people in person, frankly, like we're doing today. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things that they noticed in terms of data, too, is that even though alcohol is a poison, it seems to do 
okay with people longevity wise as long as you don't over imbibe mm-hmm. and they were looking at the data in that regard and uh arthur brooks said it's really just because it brings people together and so as toxic as it is mm-hmm. literally for your body we also need community mm-hmm. and if you're not you know drinking a bottle of wine a night but you're getting together for let's say like a semi low key birthday mm-hmm. party or something and you're everybody's having a few drinks you you're bonding mm-hmm. and you're gaining that sense of community and you may be more inclined to do things like share things mm-hmm. you otherwise wouldn't yep. because your inhibitions are lessened yeah, and then mm-hmm. people form relationships that way um whether romantic or not or fr- and or deep friendships because you just feel inclined to tell somebody yeah. something that you normally wouldn't and then they suddenly you're bonded over something mm-hmm. like that and so i just thought that was really that was also really interesting that apparently like over the mm-hmm. long run and that's why a lot of these european countries were drinking is such a key part of their culture like france or italy or something they just it doesn't hurt them it was bad. actually a key controller for a yeah. long times in a lot of societies where it was important for the elite people in charge to make sure that there's plenty of libations yeah. in the tribes yeah. and, and amongst the groups because yeah. that, they can be controlled that way and you keep people happy you keep people yeah. happy and, and it's a distraction and, and again i'm saying also any judge at all no it's just it's interesting it's, it's all like, the nuance it's yeah. like training wheels though so you're talking about forming a deep connection with somebody and you have a you have a, a really great experience where we're mm-hmm. drunk and hanging out it's still training wheels it isn't it's a version of reality mm-hmm. but when you walk away wake up the next morning you are a different person that next morning when you are sober in some way and so to have a deep connection with somebody when you're completely mm-hmm. stone cold sober and there's no there's no additional training wheels and really, it's pretty cool mm-hmm. you know and no, i found that, that cool. yeah i've had a lot of great revived relationships mm-hmm. um and found some that i was like you know all we did was hang out and drink mm-hmm. and, and we had a great time i love this guy or love this person um but at this point in my life you get a little older and like i do want a little bit more i want mm-hmm. a little bit of substance right i do want to like when i connect with you i want to know it's a real connection not mm-hmm. just because we had a great time because we had three drinks yeah you know and again but i've also done the other side and i think that when you do things all the way one way it kind of gives you a perspective that like wow okay now i can see what it'll be like to be on the other side and you can go do that and you do that and it's like you just sit back and have no regret none at all either way and maybe i'll drink again one day i have no idea but right now i'm loving it i'm, I'm genuinely loving it i feel better and I, I can say this with conviction that there's not a morning where I don't wake up clear-minded, clear-headed, excited about the day, ready to rock and roll. And I'm with around people are drinking all the time. I'm like buying them drinks and driving them home. No problem. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's a, it's just for me right now, I love this clarity so much. And I, I just, I, I, the energy is just so off the charts. So I'm going to stay with it for a while. I'm glad there's no judgment because I like you better when I'm drinking. I know. I, <laughs> I'm sure other people like me better when, when they're drinking too. That's why I still buy people drinks. So they hang out with me. You know what I mean? But I don't know, you know, but. But it's it's like it's just one of those little experiments. I, I'm a guy that likes to experiment. I don't like to guy to have a thought about something mm-hmm. and just think that that I know without actually fucking doing it, right? Yeah, without yeah. actually trying it. And then if I feel like then I have an opinion, then I actually have some substance behind that opinion. So I'll go do it, try it, make it happen, make it real. Then I got an opinion I can defend. Mm-hmm. If I'm just I'm just theorizing about it, it's nothing to talk about. So makes sense. Well, speaking cheers. of stuff to talk about, I know we talked about <laughs> <laughs> cheers. Yes, cheers. that's right. Seltzer water. As far as everybody knows, yeah. Um, so I know we talked about like stuff that all of us can talk about, and I know that you two are you two could probably talk about anything forever for sure. I know that because I've talked to you both for <laughs> forever about almost anything. Um, but like one thing that has come up is everybody wanted to know when they heard that you were coming on. Eric, about what is happening with your documentary? Sure. 
Um, yeah, the documentaries was a project we did talk about a couple of years ago. And so the, it's 98, 99% done. We decided to can it for a few years and, and just set it on the shelf. And the reason why is because we put so much in the project to let it be a tool for education or exploration mm -hmm. or somebody to see things from a different perspective that we felt like if you do it too soon to when everything was happening, then there would still be uh, an intense emotion uh, tied to a bias. Mm -hmm. When you're watching it, you wanted to look for something. So sometimes time tends to let things explode. And we're yeah. always seeing things. We've learned a lot since mm -hmm. 2020. Well, tell us about it. So for people who haven't heard that first episode or who, who have maybe forgotten the details about it, tell us again what the documentary is about and what inspired it. The documentary was because I was sitting on my couch watching freaking Portland burn down and was trying to figure out what's going on. I've got a bunch of people that are that are on every side of the political spectrum. And it seems like one side, my cop friends, were being extremely attacked and their children were being attacked. So let me go figure this out. So we just started going down there and then we started filming and then we went all across the country and filmed it over 200 riots. And, you know, we were in D.C., Kenosha, uh, L.A., Seattle. And when Portland, you say we, were my you, team film team. you were heading this yeah. and you assembled a team. I was executive producer. Uh, Thisra was a director and then Lila was our associate producer. And we had some other teammates throughout the time, but it was the three of us core, core members. And um, so did they have the same sense that you did or did you begin this project? So I had a, I held a peace rally. Did you know about the peace rally I held yeah. downtown? So yeah. I had this peace rally during the middle of the riots mm -hmm. that were downtown because on the 4th of July, I put a, a flag on the elk in the middle of downtown mm -hmm. and that caught a little attention. So I did this peace rally and I was trying to invite everybody there thinking, let's just chill out for the day and mm -hmm. actually talk about this instead of yelling at each other. And so the director, uh, Thissero, was actually filming that and he had started filming since day three, I think, of the of the riots. So we met there, mm -hmm. chatted the next day. He was like, man, I'd love to have you on as, a, as an executive producer. So we, we kind of filled out the team with like me, I was a little more on the right, Lee was a little more on the left. This was a centrist, mm -hmm. essentially, you know, an immigrant, not even from this country, didn't have a citizenship at the time. So we had a pretty well-rounded team with a lot of respect. And so it, it started from there. And then when we realized it's bigger than Portland, mm -hmm. we said, okay. And I took two years off of every, I count all mm -hmm. my other projects. I didn't work on anything else. We just traveled and did this project. So I got a, I got a PhD in humanity for sure on that, on that two years and then decided to sit it. And actually that's part of my project mm -hmm. now is to um, take that sort of dark times mm -hmm. about what you you see the real seeds of humanity and the real darkness behind some people. Yeah. And I had to sit with that for about six months. And then I want to do something awesome again. So I went, went back to business, but that was the reason for the project was just trying to, again, like what I said with drinking, I don't want to sit there and have an opinion until I'm actually understanding what the F mm -hmm. is going on. I, I got in there for a couple of years. Are you able to talk about this dark side of humanity theme at all? I can. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'll probably invite Derek here too because I know you've seen some parts of the country yeah. and done some things. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, honestly, not just the you, country. Other countries. It's, and when, so when I say humanity, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a dig on people mm -hmm. or America. We're just inherently flawed. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I, and I think that people fail to recognize just how easily impressionable groups of human beings are. Individuals are not, but like, example, uh, Steph and I watching band of brothers mm -hmm. and she's not, she's mm -hmm. not a big history buff, mm -hmm. but even she, like she would pause it and be like, I just don't understand how all these people, you know, all these Nazis like thought they were doing the right thing. I just watched that. And, oh really? Mm -hmm. we, and then we started kind of talking back and forth about like the, you know, the Stanford prison trial and stuff like that mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. human beings inherently, in groups are very easily swayed into doing some of the darkest, most evilest shit you can come up with. 
that's one of the reasons why I actually don't join groups. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about a group earlier, we mm -hmm. won't name, but it, and that's actually one of the reasons why I don't join groups. Mm -hmm. I love, I love causes and I love mm -hmm. actions and whatnot, but typically I don't join a group because the, the good nature that the group starts in mm -hmm. typically gets twisted or tainted a little mm -hmm. bit. How do you and, define group? Any group or tribe, mm -hmm. because ultimately you, you when you mean it, like it, church, political party, absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you kind of watch over time, you'll watch that the the, the kind of the purest of intentions gets really manipulated over time because mm -hmm. they end up becoming the devil they're trying to fight yep. or the cause they're trying to fight against, and you kind of end up being like them in some way. Mm -hmm. And so we actually we say all the time in the team when we go to these all these riots, I I would talk to individual members and that madness that's the default in the group is actually pretty rare in an individual mm -hmm. and really you were rare. at left and right wing you know, riots oh yeah but but there was more left yes I mean, let's be honest right but yes we felt i mean there was only the really one big seemed like one big right wing event which would have been january january 6th yeah, but i guess yeah. uh we I, I guess mm -hmm. left and right to the extent that was occurring throughout the country it was sort of like i don't know at least the way it was playing out in portland mm -hmm. we were sort of front and center with the left wing would sort of bait the right wing into coming into totally they're yeah. brilliant at it yeah well, and it's and, and the it, right wing came absolutely if you, and if you really think about it like if we really break it down to barney level how fucking stupid is that mm -hmm. you're gonna go out and say something in public mm -hmm. and i dislike it so much that i'm gonna come out and try and shout over you in public mm -hmm. and, we and we're think gonna bring that, weapons we think that it's gonna change anybody's mind about anything mm -hmm. i tried to give so much credit to the the time also that like the time capsule that it was covid we were in lockdown mm -hmm. you know what i mean i tried yeah. initially i was like hey i could give some ex excuse to this because of this other extreme thing that we're all experiencing well, together talk more about that what, well, what do you what do you think fed into that or how did covid things like covid and lockdown feed into those kind of mentalities i agree with you but mm -hmm. i just think it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on that yeah well for instance at some of the some of the riots and whatnot there were actually people being there on dates right they've been their mask and and mm -hmm. gear on and stuff holding hands like sitting indian style and like hugging and but there is literally i talked to them they're literally mm -hmm. on a date because they've been locked up and in their basement right now they're excited to come do something mm -hmm. so they're out there eating pizza smoking weed having drinks or whatever and throwing some rocks and having a good time they got rock music and dancing mm -hmm. and they're beating the drums right way better than being locked up at home yeah right and a lot of them you know uh, financial incentives were, were there mm -hmm. we'll talk about that there's some financial incentives to go do that where they weren't getting a job mm -hmm. right because their job has been lost so they're on the streets now and they got camaraderie they have community yeah. you won't talk about that because you can't because it's part no, of the because, um because i don't think that's helpful right now yeah. you know i it, um there there's that there are certain topics that i think are very helpful to talk about and there are certain topics that just because they exist we can't do anything about and so let's talk about the things that we can mm -hmm. And so some of these big, these big kind of, I'll call them conspiracy theories that I've found out some of them to be very, very true. Um, they're so big and so broad that it wouldn't matter how, yeah. how important we are, you are, anybody listening is, it's just shit that's happening, but mm -hmm. we can do a lot of other good things. So I try and just focus on the things I we can do good on. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, so you guys, when we were off air, both of you said you think there's going to be riots in 2024. Oh, absolutely. In Portland. Absolutely. Oh, not just Portland. We're going to see more nationwide. It's, it has become a a standard in U.S. politics now. Now, the degree to which people are rioting is, is debatable and different things. But what is going to happen in 2024? It doesn't matter who wins. Biden wins. You're going to have a bunch of people on the political right that are going to go out and, and – they're going to they're going to riot. They're going to be upset. Now, the one major difference we see is, you know, maybe less property destruction and looting, but they're still going to be pissed off. They're still going to be out shouting. There's still going to be assaults that are occurring. Like, it's not a good situation, but they will be upset about it. Is, if, is, if, if 
People on the left were upset when Biden won, yeah. too. I mean, they smashed the Democratic in, headquarters here in in Portland. Mm-hmm. Andy Chandler's filming this. And I think, Andy, weren't you assault, Weren't you covering the Democratic headquarters being smashed up? Yeah. Uh, it was actually before the election, but mm-hmm. it was an Antifa. Antifa member was killed by another Antifa member, mm-hmm. as, as far as I understand. But it was outside, ironically, of the DNC. Outside yeah. of the DNC, and if and if Trump gets reelected, we're going to see it on the political. Like it will happen, and I oh, it, for it's sure. unfortunate. I think the left will be pissed no matter what. That a a certain amount of social unrest that is is played out in public is now a a standard in U.S. politics because it of is going to occur. Oh, I think it goes further it, back than it that. Brewed back, like actually, yeah. like, like 2017. Oh, I would I would go before then. If we, I mean, if we really look at it, let's look at uh, President Obama's election. Right, he got elected. There was people out holding effigies of him as a monkey and stuff like that right. around the White House. Right. Um, taking it back even a little bit further, you know, it wasn't because of the election; it was because of Iraq. But you had people, you know, with with effigies of of uh, W as Hitler and things like that. So that's. But that social unrest was always played out to a much smaller degree and by people that most of us recognized as that's the fringe of that team. Right. And it's gradually grown to the point that I think the new norm is we will see some amount of social unrest across the country with every presidential election. So you'll see different types of so part of the journey over the, over those couple of years was to understand the psychology. So we actually went back to rise and fall of civilizations mm-hmm. since the beginning of time, mm-hmm. like Rose and Persians, mm-hmm. uh, all these different. And we talked to historians and um, went back and I even interviewed like police officers that were in charge of the Rodney King riots mm-hmm. and found the chief of police for Orange County mm-hmm. in LA County. We interviewed them. So it's trying to find all these similarities, right? And there's a great book by that by a guy named uh, Jonathan Haidt, and it's called The yes. Righteous Mind. Yes, mm-hmm. it is a great book, and, and he's got another one, mm-hmm. Coddling of the American Mind or yes, whatever. Yeah, also and a so, great book. Just a great job. You recommended kind of, those to me a couple of years ago. They're so ago. good. Yeah. And you read them? Yeah. Good for you, man. Andy and I were just talking about one of them before you guys came in here. Yeah. And, and he's, 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 he's a, he's a, does a great job of explaining why we express ourselves so differently when we're faced with bad tribalism. news or tribalism, yeah. right? And how, why does the left burn stuff down and the right wants to protect a statue, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of actually studies about genetic predisposition mm-hmm. and stuff about yep. our, our being born a certain way. So, you know, I also have learned to give a little bit more grace, mm-hmm. right? And I don't, I don't agree with, the opinion, but I can at least understand how they're there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been actually a really healing process, but that's a really good book to help understand why if the left rights are typically more property damaged than when they're right. Yeah. It's just, yeah. a, it's just a, it's a value set mm-hmm. and the value. So the left doesn't value sanctity mm-hmm. or, or structures and stuff like that. And the yeah. right does, it's just how it works. Yeah. Right. So there's just a different kind of protesting depending on your political leaning because mm-hmm. that's how you express yourself. Mm-hmm. So Derek and I explored this. I want to come back to the riots of 2024, but Derek and I explored this in his episode, and I, I'm sure we did. We talked for so long, Eric. What is your, can you remind me, like, obviously you're both intellectually curious people. What is your, like, educational background? I have a and, high school diploma. And when, how did you become so insatiably curious? Was that from a young, always from a young age, or did something inspire this? Let me get on my leather couch and we'll go back. <laughs> I know. No, lie no. down. <laughs> I, I honestly, that's a really interesting question. I would say first out of necessity, 
you know, when you have to be independent at a young age, you have no choice but to figure shit out in order to figure I shit out. I don't even think we curious. talked about that. How did you end up having to be independent at a young age? Oh, just, you know, I was a childhood similar to some others, a broken home and not a great stepdad and that kind of stuff. I was adopted for this. It's just, just stuff, right? Didn't have yep. a ton of money. And I picked berries when I was 10 and 11 years old of, you know, 4 a.m. and that Oregon. kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, sold vacuum cleaners door to door. Like you had to hustle to do mm-hmm. what you needed to do to have what you needed to survive. And so when you do that, you learn a lot of resourcefulness. And mm-hmm. if you want to be resourceful, you got to be curious. So I think if I'm going to credit something that generally anything that's good, that's beautiful, you know, it might have come from a dark place. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's great. I'm, I'm super curious about all things I'm physically, mentally, mm-hmm. emotionally. I'm super curious. I think it came from there. If I were to guess, you know, with a high school diploma. But I've also, I think that's an amazing story. Yeah, it's, 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 and it's not terribly uncommon. No, it's not actually. A lot of the most beautiful, curious, uh, kind hearted, peaceful men, especially, know what violence is. Mm hmm. Right. Yeah, it's it's Jordan Peterson's whole famous little phrase like if you if you're not capable of violence yeah. then you're not nonviolent you're someone yeah. who is incapable Submissive. of violence like you're that, that it is what yeah. it is the the righteous man is the one who is capable Absolutely. of violence but chooses not to yeah be a monster yeah so and I, I firmly believe in that and yeah. so the the gentlest kindest human beings have generally experienced something that has put them there mm-hmm. right so they they can appreciate what that feeling that that feels like so but i believe in education i just i just tend to self-educate you know and especially right now man with everything's going on those my daughter just is a first year at osu yeah looking at her class schedule i'm trying to align that with what i'm seeing with like ai and what the job market's going to be like hold on a second there's a little disparity here so you know education and and the packaged government provided education are two completely different Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. right and the archaic institution of education we can talk about another time or maybe even today who knows yeah <laughs> but, i think you just did yeah but but the, you know we do have a massive gap between these institutions and, and what's actually happening in the real world and, mm-hmm. that, and when i'm talking judicial financial mm-hmm. business education they're all they're all okay so we do have a lot of work there to do but i think individuals now can self-educate mm-hmm. faster and better than ever we have access to information everything right now as long as we give it to us in a digestible mm-hmm. way and, and we well we absolutely have to and, and don't get me wrong our education system is still rooted in the 1950s but even if we were even attempting to keep up it's government by by the time it makes it through government's process of sure okay this is the updated information it might as well be burning witches at stake. Right. Like, it's, right. Totally. It's, it's so, so out of date. People even say it's public education. I'm like, yeah. listen, it's not publicly funded. It's government funded. Yeah. It's, it's government controlled. It's government yeah. uh, uh, supervised. Yeah. It, there's no public oh, yeah. in this whole it's, thing. So it's tough. And, and I say that having a lot of good friends that are mm-hmm. teachers who are, who are really great at what they do, but the system doesn't allow them mm-hmm. to flourish and do the things that they would like to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a criticism on the system, not, not teachers itself, but yeah. Or well, some of them, I'll tell you that. I knew some there, teachers there are I love to make sure they run out of town, but that's another mm-hmm. story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you really look at it, even with a lot of the political issues that we have, I firmly believe that it is rooted in our educational system, right? We have, you know, the, the great experiment of our nation. Mm-hmm. And depending on the school, you know, when, when I was in high school, we did one semester of civics. And that's all you learn. Mm-hmm. And and I think we even talked about it a little bit last time because, you know, I used to be registered libertarian. I'm, I'm uh, unaffiliated now. Well, your but episode was was giving us providing us with civic education. Probably more yeah, education sure than schools doing. But yeah, you know a lot about that. You know, so. when when I went through, it was I mean, we directly got told mm-hmm. in the United States, there's Republicans and Democrats yeah. and you're one of them. Figure out which. 
right? And that's that's what Where'd we were told up, about Howard. I grew up in Central California. Central California. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, farming walnuts, man. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, Is but that right? that's that's the thing. So if you look at the divisiveness that we experience throughout all that, it's it's conditioned mm-hmm. from the time we are teenagers. We are told sure. your beliefs put you in one camp, your beliefs put you in another camp, mm-hmm. and you two are not allowed to be friends. Basically, yeah. right? You know, it's wild. Schools. Uh, here's the here's the here's the reason why schools are necessary because we have seven billion people, mm-hmm. eight billion people. We got three hundred eighty million yeah. people here, or whatever. Well, they're definitely necessary. We yeah. have to have a compliant and complacent part of society in order for your milk to show up on the store. Yeah, it's part and of civil society. You yeah. have to have that. It's just not soul fulfilling. Mm-hmm. It's not gratifying. You you can't you can't wake up in the morning and be excited because you just feel like you're a cog in the wheel. And mm-hmm. right, you see that. So what's necessary for society to function? is also not what's going to fulfill an mm-hmm. individual. So that's why they join groups and then joints get twisted because they're not grounded in anything mm-hmm. but that group. And then it goes to shit. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's the a good thing about schools. We need that for society. But like with my kids, you know, I have to deprogram them mm-hmm. from that. Right, because I don't want them to be a cog in the wheel. I want them to develop their own economy. I want them to make their own economy. I want them to rain make for everybody else mm-hmm. around them. I want them to be autonomous in every way. And when you're autonomous, then you're powerful. You can't be powerful when you're complacent and compliant. Mm-hmm. So. How, when you say deprogram, how exactly do you go about doing that? I provide an environment for self-discovery. You know, if you want to persuade somebody, you don't talk them into it. You give them an environment where they discover it for themselves, mm-hmm. right? They leave themselves there. So with my children, I don't make little clones of myself or or, or their mother. It's it's them, but I got to give them the environment where they know in it. When I put little guardrails on it, so they can't go too far one way without hurting anybody or themselves. But I need them. What to do you fill recommend? Like, what do you do exactly? You know. Like the, um, there's a great uh, book out there written by Lenore Skinazzi. Um, it is a great book. Yeah. About I, free range kids. Free range, I interviewed, I had a great chat with her, by the way. In fact, she's friends with Jonathan Haidt. They have a project yes. together. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we we're chatting, it's like that sort of thing, right? Where you give them controlled responsibility mm-hmm. where they need to go out and they can fail without feeling like a failure. Mm-hmm. And that's an element of, of leadership. Right. Yeah. You, you let your team fail out feeling like a failure because that's how they learn to do better. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how they grow. And so it's the same thing with raising mm-hmm. children. I don't need to be preaching. Parenting is the hardest thing you're ever going to do. So we're doing the best we no, can. I, I don't think anybody feels like but, you're, you're preaching at all. I think mm-hmm. um, it's just more interesting to learn what you're doing. And maybe people might decide to apply it themselves, but they just don't know how to go about it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, is I don't off or I don't delegate any responsibility of my children to a school, to a doctor, to the, right? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like a lot of parents are now handing their kids over, teach to my quote kids. quote unquote experts. Yeah, yeah, teach my kids, give my kid therapy, uh, teach them how to swim, whatever. Meanwhile, like, mm-hmm. hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Isn't isn't our whole idea that we're going to be guiding our kids and working with them? And you don't know what's being said eight hours a day in mm-hmm. the classroom. So let's have a great communication so it's, it's well-rounded. So I, I just, I tend to believe really, I'm connected with my children because they want to be. You know what I mean? We've dealt this relationship where my daughter's texting me from the bar and she's like, dad, it's so fun. I'm driving my friends home because she's not drinking in college. Right. Yeah. And, and so we're doing this little sober, sober thing together. She's like, I'm driving my, my, my kids home, my friends home. And it's been great. I'm like, that's awesome. That's really sweet. It's, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's healthy. It feels healthy. It feels, um, real. Um, and it, and it feels productive for them. And so I'll do that as long as I can, because yeah. it seems to be working. You know what I mean? They're great. They're great little people. So I want to tie up this riots of 2024 think I think people who are listening, especially Portlanders are probably squirming in their seats mm. and thinking, Jesus Christ, is this going to be like 2020? <laughs> I mean, strap, baby. So, like, I, what do you all envision <laughs> yeah. happening? Cause you're both super curious and super good at, I feel like you're both really good at, at 
observing things and then analyzing what's actually going on through those observations. And I wonder what you think Portland's going to look like in 2024, particularly after we've got this charter stuff, brand new city council Mm -hmm. filled with people. Um, a new mayor could be, let's say it's Renee Gonzalez or Mingus Maps. Mm-hmm. I mean, Renee hasn't announced, but let's pretend he does. Mm-hmm. Mingus certainly, I think, is the front runner right now. Um, and I think he'd be a great mayor, just in my opinion. Um, but I also think he's going to be a different mayor than Ted Wheeler. I don't, this, again, this is just my observation, but I wonder what you guys think. And if you think, are, are we in for like another 2020? I don't think it'll be that bad. No. I, I And so I just, and because I we could don't be, have the factors of lockdown and COVID. Well, is that why? Yes and no. I, I mean, COVID created a situation where people desired an outlet and that's, you know, people going on dates to riots or whatever. They desired that outlet. I think now though, we are experiencing more, Anger. People were angry during COVID, right? But I I think we're actually seeing more anger now post COVID because of other issues that have have trickled into people's minds. January 6th, right? And then all the all the videos just got released by uh, the Speaker, speaker. Yeah. yeah, whatever his name is. Nobody knew who he was before he was speaker. <laughs> <laughs> I literally just had him on time by talking until he said nobody can know. I'm like, yeah, yep, you yeah. just curse me. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at that. You look at the the Mar-a-Lago situation. You look at the Hunter Biden situation. There's there's look so much BLM stuff. Yeah, look what happened to the vaccines? There's right. so much being yeah. tossed at people that really serves only to make them mad. During COVID, at least up until the end, there was still enough doubt in people's minds, I think. Even the most hardcore masks don't work, vaccines don't work, there was still enough doubt in their mind about, what if I am wrong? That it it kept some people's actions in check. Now we don't have that, and now we're dealing with the after effects. And it's similar to you know releasing the the, the video yeah. when it's still too raw, too fresh. There's going to be so many things going on between all of Trump's issues and everything going on with Biden and him too old and and his and Hunter Biden that it is creating Nobody's happy with these anger. Yeah. It is it is creating anger. Uh, I have a theory, possible theory on that. Mm-hmm. I've been talking about that and just had it in my head before. But one of the theories that I have on this is that there's a thing for a society to be kind of functionally high functionally together mm-hmm. so they need to have common shared experiences mm-hmm. i don't have that as much anymore yeah. we don't have that we don't we don't have the place of worship we don't have the mm-hmm. you know communities are very bifurcated and separated and we're on our mm-hmm. phones and and if you don't have a shared common experience it's hard to see eye to eye in mm-hmm. tough situations the other thing is we don't have a lot of places that we're hanging out a lot of people are working from home mm-hmm. they live at home so it used to be you'd have home work and then like the pub or the church or mm-hmm. you had you had multiple places yeah. that you interact you don't have that now so people are feeling more isolated more not but, so i guess you're gonna have more anger it's funny you bring that up because i think and I, I could be completely wrong but i would wager if we sat down and, and did the math probably one of the most common shared experiences is military service sure right? in the yeah. society that we live in now and if you look at amongst service members like people vote different ways mm-hmm. but it's much more common for them to engage with each other and yes. talk with each other about issues mm-hmm. and find common ground I, if you look at because there's camaraderie uh, yeah if you look at i think they I also want to say it was the 04 election uh with ron paul still running where he received more donations from service members than obama and mccain combined and he was the one running around talking that. about we're not gonna we're not gonna get into foreign wars anymore, anti-interventionist, make the military smaller. And the military was the ones 
donated to him, right? And that shared experience, that core group resonated with that message. And even though you have people with with disparate ideals, that shared ideal was enough to attract a vast majority of them to that one person. Mm -hmm. In the Marines, I found the camaraderie was obviously there, but that was a deep program. I mean, you were deeply programmed to have the camaraderie. So there was a, there was an element of like, it wasn't natural selection Mm -hmm. camaraderie, but there was a deep sense that I, I am much stronger in a group of 60 men or men and women or whatever that I am by myself. Mm-hmm. And even though his opinions are mine or different than mine, if we're fighting together, both of our opinions are safe. Yep. Both of our livelihoods are safe. Right. And so there was a, there was a, a, a kind of understanding that actually diversity is necessary mm-hmm. to have a really integral group that really works well together. Mm-hmm. That was my experience. It wasn't necessarily the camaraderie cause that was great. That was a little bit forced cause you just, you're living together, yeah. you're drinking together, you're fighting. But, but really it was like that. I, I get it now we we have this joint cause together. So it's not about him and me mm-hmm. individually. It's, about this whole thing that we represent together. Yeah. And it was a really special time. It was a really special mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think some people, especially Portlanders, are kind of breathing a bit of a sigh of relief then that we, we may not see another 2020 and 2024. But we talked a little bit about teachers, and I think we should talk about yeah. the Absolutely. fact that Portland kids were basically out of school mm-hmm. almost the entire month of November. And the kinds of stuff that, that was going on, I felt like on – behalf of the teachers union, which in my opinion seemed to have, and I'm, I'm separating the union from the teachers themselves, but the Portland association of teachers has seemed to have a particular stranglehold in my opinion on politics in Oregon, in Portland in particular. And after COVID and I think after this last strike, which as far as I know, didn't seem to achieve a whole lot of anything mm-hmm. And in the meantime, all this stuff was going on. I'm not saying they were they were part of this, but uh, you know, apparently this was done on their behalf. Like, you know, I saw photos of Julia Brim Edwards. She's a Multnomah County Commissioner. She's on the school board too. Of her home, uh, what they what they thought was her home. They had spray painted it uh, "Fu" and like, "Kids First" and "What About Kids." And then there, uh, Hollins is a school board member he's black they spray painted his car portland association of teachers had endorsed him and the way they turned on people like gary hollins and julia bram edwards people who were ostensibly doing this on behalf of the teachers union i just thought it was so like you guys said i mean if you think this is persuasive you're at a billion percent wrong um, but just those kind, all those kinds of things going on in the background, which is also sort of so culturally Portland. But I, I just wonder what you guys thought of the teachers' strike and whether, um, I mean, both of you, but mm-hmm. definitely Derek, because you're so plugged into Oregon politics, are are the teachers' unions going to have less of a stranglehold now? Because I think the majority of Oregonians and Portlanders mm-hmm. are not down with the kinds of stuff they're doing they mm-hmm. they, they don't agree with schools being closed this long yeah. and they don't they some of them want to take away and i i, I think this mm-hmm. bill to take away teachers ability to strike is kind of interesting to even progressive people well so i i think that is something important to point out and I, my numbers may be off but if if I recall correctly, Oregon is one of only like 16 states that allows teachers to strike. So a vast majority of other states, they don't allow teachers yeah. to strike. The, the union will still engage in their collective bargaining or whatever, but you still got to be there for the kids. Yeah. Um, similar to that, I mean, we talked about last time with like the, the open primary stuff. You know, Oregon is one of nine that doesn't have open primary. So we have a lot of areas in our, I don't want to say in our, in our politics, but in, in 
policies statewide where people think of, of Oregon and Portland and being very progressive, but we're way behind. We're way behind what the rest of the nation is doing. And frankly, but is regardless that because of we're the too merits, progressive? I don't think it's because we're too progressive. What, but what I, is well, going on well, there? Think about it, just from the infrastructure of the way it's set up, mm-hmm. that the head of education is an elected position in Oregon, mm-hmm. like it is in a lot of other states. It's mm-hmm. appointed by the governor, so it happens to be a political arm of the governor. Correct. And how many years and decades have we had one side mm-hmm. of government? So it does become political in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when years stack up on each other and policies stack up on each yep. other. Well, and we talked about this last time as well as a small little, little snippet, but... Um, you know, Oregon is one of the only states where we have no cap on campaign contributions for state elections, right? And if you look it's at the crazy. the <laughs> kind of the breeding ground, the, the entry level political position is our school boards, mm-hmm. and right. we have seen the the overt gross politicalization of mm-hmm. our school boards within the past 10, 15 years, yep. where you have a position that is inherently meant to be a nonpartisan position where you are focusing on some, some, some very narrow singular aspects of what affects society in your little bubble. And they are bringing in their own politics associated with it. And I, I had, well, that's why San Francisco got rid of their school. Yeah. Board. Well, with, with the school boards, if you look at those positions, Oregon, another thing that we are way behind in is how we manage our campaign contributions. We should be taking a much more in-depth look into who is donating to what races. And if the race is meant to be a nonpartisan race and you have an organization that is an overtly partisan organization donating to one individual, there's a reason they should not be allowed to make that donation. In my opinion. Yeah. If you have an organization that is, is, has an overt leaning, like, on one side or the other, I would not be okay with Oregon Right to Life or Planned Parenthood donating to a school board seat or, or donating for that campaign. Right. right? Because well, those are both organizations so that are inherently like political. Schools are not in the business of providing abortion. Exactly. So it also makes you wonder what the hell is yeah. going on there. Yeah. One it, of well, the... it tells you it's an inherently political position yep. is what it tells you. It yeah. screams that. It doesn't it tell you it that. screams yeah. it. Out well, out. look at yeah. uh, one, of the, one of the big examples, lover or hater, is Marion County Commissioner uh, Daniel Bethel, right? Started out school board, made it into Marion County Commissioner. A lot of people are talking about they're pretty certain that she wants to angle herself for a run for Congress. I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's something that people talk about in that area. Area, uh, and she actually con- concurrently held seats on the school board and as a Marion County Commissioner, which the Marion County Commissioner seats are not nonpartisan. So you have someone who is holding an overtly partisan elected position while also concurrently holding a nonpartisan elected position. Well, how, how is that not necessarily a conflict? In my mind, that that creates a conflict with where that person's coming from and what they may or may not advocate for. Right, because they have a, a constituency and a political base yeah. in one arena of mm-hmm. their public life. Yeah, yeah, it's it's putting putting people in a position where politics are now overtly influencing education throughout Oregon. So has the teachers union lost steam in Oregon? I just think the majority of Oregonians are not going to be behind them. Well, I, I think Portland is is a, a unique area because by and large, when we look at education, a vast majority of educators do lean politically left. And then we've got Portland, which even being conservative, probably 70 percent very politically yeah, left. I think that's right. And the organization is representing those individuals. So they may not necessarily be losing any pull with this area or I their own members. I think they are. I'm just, I'm just speaking 
anecdotally and mm-hmm. also, frankly, from press coverage. Mm-hmm. I mean, the press coverage coming out of the Oregonian yeah. was not favorable oh, yeah. to Absolutely. the Portland Association it's of really Teachers. Hard to I admit. haven't seen that in a yeah. long, mm-hmm. ever, I don't even think. Even during COVID, mm-hmm. I wasn't seeing a lot of that. But how do you defend the ranking of the school? Yeah. And the cost per teacher yeah. and the cost spent per student. We are one of the highest oh, costs per student. Yeah, you can't defend that. And we that. are, I mean, at last I looked at it, I think we're at 49th right now. Yeah, we're 49th. Yeah. So, in, so education. In, education. in education. In the country. Yeah. In the country. In the country. So we're the always lowest. right above what, West and Virginia or Mississippi? Our spending, I think we're like Sometimes number, Alaska, right? I think we're number like 13. Oh, we're really high. For spending, something like that. Total, well, per total student, amounts, even higher. Per student, yeah. But isn't one of the issues, isn't this part of why we made the cover of the New York Times? One of the issues is this gosh darn PERS thing that we're now wedded to where mm-hmm. tier one people. Oh, PERS is definitely a part of yeah, it. Yeah, we're tier one people with, with public mm-hmm. pensions. Um, our Supreme Court has decided that was a contract mm-hmm. and that they get their guaranteed 8%. I'm not making yeah. this up. Those people who are in tier one, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about like football coaches mm-hmm. and people at OHSU, yep. those are the ones who are really killing us. It's actually not the teachers, but the point is mm-hmm. um, it isn't part of Part of this whole issue is this elephant in the room that we're not talking mm-hmm. about, which is we've got this pension program that yeah. should in any I mean, it it's surprising it has not completely bankrupted the state. Oh, it has. We're just it, moving yeah. money and taking money from things yeah, to yeah, keep it from yeah. doing that. It's already happened. It's, uh, we have to wait for tier one Kate spouses. Brown in, what was it? Oh, Maybe maybe it was twelve or somewhere. Right. Anyway, yeah. the, the, there was there was a vote, and we yes. voted for a greater oh, right, amount right, right, right. of lottery funds to go to veteran services. Mm-hmm. And so all she did was strip the original funding, so that the extra funding was now their only funding. Mm-hmm. I saw that. And the, the yeah, other thing that's point, interesting that the New York Times talked about was um, not only do the tier one, and this was years ago. This was probably two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Not only do the tier one public benefit recipients have to die for us to get out from under mm-hmm. this burden. Their beneficiaries yeah. have to die. Yeah. So to the extent they have just what their issue left as is children or mm-hmm. it's a much younger spouse. I mean, we, we could be waiting this out a really mm-hmm. deep trouble for a really long mm-hmm. time till we get rid of that. Yeah. Burden. Culturally, adults have decided to use children as pawns mm-hmm. in their political yes. games. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And when I drove by the teachers that were striking the other day uh, downtown here, and, you know, there's dancing and hula hooping and skirts on and, mm-hmm. and, and hats with the springy stars yeah. on and stuff like this, partying. And I'm like, why doesn't the kids have a union? You know, like who's advocating for the right. kids in this case? And we got this big party. Cream, you know, like it's <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> right. And same thing, same thing with the nurses' strike happening right now. It's like I, I drove by the nurses' strike, and, and you know, I, I want everyone to make a good living, but I'm looking and I'm wondering of all these families that are in this hospital, looking down, mm-hmm. losing a loved one, right, mm-hmm. or having this life-saving surgery, and wondering what's well, going on with this party out here, right? At least with with healthcare, it's not uncommon to bring travel nurses in. To like, it's not just backfill. not uncommon. Like, that is you, necessary. But it's day regret. We're not really doing that with teachers, right? You know, yeah. we're not well, saying we're not saying, hey, Wyoming, can you send us 30 of, teachers? But yeah, we well, kind of did. Yeah. We got rid. You know what we did? We got rid of really standards for teachers. Yeah. And now you I mean, it used to be you weren't really um, teach a lot. A lot of people were not teaching in Oregon without mm-hmm. a master's degree because mm-hmm. there was just such an incentive to get your at least in public yeah. education. There was a real incentive yeah. to get your master's degree to get the pay grade that you wanted and the, mm-hmm. as, particularly if you were in tier one PERS mm-hmm. because that meant a ton of money to yeah. you. And so people, everybody I knew who was a teacher had a master's degree. Now after COVID, 
all these teachers, you know, left the profession or mm-hmm. just, you know, took early retirements or whatever. And we've got in Oregon, you can be a teacher with a high school education. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think that's a pretty big shift. Yeah. I, I don't think they're getting paid as much. But and you can certainly substitute mm-hmm. with, with with a high school education. Yeah, or I with actually a applied for the, yeah. just for fun because at the time I was yeah. I was battling well, frankly, the school board. Be, I, I mean, was battling they'd be school board. I was like, i get you. Oh, I, I well, I'm in the schools all the time. I have lunch buddy. I'm in the program. I used to teach a leadership program statewide for a bunch of high schools. I'd run the, the the student town hall for the high schools in my town, and I'm in the schools all the time. I'd speak at assemblies or whatever. I'd coached in the community forever. So I'm in the schools a lot. And the thing that I'm seeing is that there's just this like. Um, uh, massive, you, you hit on earlier, massive lack of diversity. You have 80% are mostly women mm-hmm. over 80% are mostly on one side of the political mm-hmm. aisle, generally the same socioeconomic standing, yep. the same general path yep. of life to get there. So you have zero diversity yeah. claiming to be the champions of diversity. Yeah. So it, just inherently there's all this weird hypocrisy just baked in the whole system. And then you have the protection agency of like, Oh, we've got to protect you. Even though you haven't done your job, yep. even though you refuse to go, you, you, you mm-hmm. can't be fired because you have tenure. Yeah. Come on, there's no way. That's not. There's nothing like good in there for the kids. Yeah. Right. And, and the whole point is we have no, this generation of kids. There's that no accountability. Is, that is. That's the, the the great problem with unions. Like we were talking about earlier, right? You end up becoming the the evil that you were trying to fight against. Yeah. Right? And so when we we see some of these unions get so large that they're they're no longer effectively representing their own clientele or constituency or whatever they we want to call competitor. them, right? Uh, SEIU is actually a, a great example, right? Largest, yes. largest union in the state. Yeah. And they had a major issue for quite some time because if you look at their membership, their membership, their membership I want to say the numbers right, that, that I got, no, it was, it was about 47% were right leaning and like okay. 53 were left leaning, which, That's okay, okay. But the candidates that they endorsed across the board but were they're always far left. the leftist of the leftist yes. of the left. Yes. And Why so do you it, think that is? Well, because that's what supported what the union specifically wanted, not even necessarily what their people Because the union wanted. is so separate from the membership. And and what happened exactly. is it hit a point where yeah. there was a, a a concerted effort within SCIU as far as their political endorsements to say, like, we, we have to at least try and come back a little more center because we're not – like, we're going to lose people. There's no requirement for them to be in the union anymore. We are going to start hemorrhaging people if we continue to do this. And so even when I was running for the legislature, I had I had spoken with SEIU. Obviously, they've got deep pockets, but, yeah. uh, you know, the district I was in, if I would have accepted their endorsement at all, that just would have been shooting myself in the foot. Money money be damned. You know, mm-hmm. It's a very, very right-leaning district. You put SEIU <laughs> to that district, you're gone. <laughs> right. To that district, that's a red flag. Oh, yeah. To, no, to that district, that's a death sentence. Uh, but there, there was some conversations back and forth because even they recognized that, hey, you know, this guy isn't our, our typical left politician, but he's someone that does have a viable shot at winning. And if he supports us on 50% of things, that's better than someone that supports us on 0% of things, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that was kind of the mindset. But we've got these unions that within the union and within the leadership, there is so little diversity of thought. There's so little diversity of action. And there's there's so little diversity about what the needs are within the organization that they no longer represent the people they're supposed to. Right? Uh, Fraternal Order of Police is another one. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, mm. I am... I don't want to say extremely pro law enforcement, but for the most part, I'm pretty, pretty pro law enforcement. Mm-hmm. We just had a situation in Almsville. I don't know if you saw the mm-hmm. officer who had been fired from Salem. No, what happened? So this was after I left as mayor. 
um, we had an officer who apparently had been fired from Salem PD who had been engaging in conversations with some woman who was like a known member of the Proud Boys and was a felon and all this kind of stuff. So he got fired. Well, he gets hired in Almsville. Okay. And he's under his certs have all been pulled now, is my understanding. He was under the whole investigation for that. And I said, well, why, why are we hiring a guy that's actively under investigation? Mm -hmm. And basically what the way that was explained to me was there has been such a huge fight to ensure that cities can't say, well, you're under investigation, so we won't hire you. Mm -hmm. That they've tried, they've tried to push to make that illegal to say, oh, well, you, you might lose your certs in six weeks, but I am legally not allowed to use that as an excuse to not hire you. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. You're, you're, they should be fighting for a better quality of officer, a better. They want better clients. They want a better industry as a whole. And you've got an organization that's that's supporting a guy, which it was later found out that apparently he had assaulted his daughter and had been sleeping oh. with this woman and everything else. Someone who who from any objective standpoint has zero business ever being involved in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And the union is advocating for rules that protect that person. I'm sorry. There, there's a there's a conversation that should be had too about the original need for a union and a yeah, labor union let's talk about that. compared to contemporary times. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about that. Right. So so the, the formation of unions made a lot of sense mm -hmm. when you needed to protect workers yeah. and you had you didn't have transparency into that organization. You didn't have Facebook. Mm -hmm. You didn't have Glassdoor. You we also post. didn't have a lot of labor laws. You didn't have a lot of labor laws, absolutely. And and you didn't have a lot of technology, you didn't have a lot of healthcare. And so the reason for it was good and great at the time. But what happens in society, we just keep these things and all the things evolve, we just keep them. Because mm -hmm. it's way easier to keep them it is to have a real conversation evaluate make good decisions moving forward well and they become entrenched mm -hmm. right and they become so entrenched even and when we realize money. this is yeah. a problem like we're looking at the teachers union or we're looking at seiu hey there's this is an issue how do you even begin to dismantle something mm -hmm. that's so entrenched at that point you need a you need a you need a leader that doesn't care about what happens in his back you need a leader that steps up how do you up. find that person well and that's and that's Nobody a hard thing wants in those again. jobs mm -hmm. You know, I, I would like to think that our next gubernatorial race is another good race. You know what I mean? I would like I would like mm -hmm. to think there's a candidate that steps up that, that does help. But we need we have to have that 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 doesn't uh, have any sort of short term need for reelection. Mm -hmm. They have a long term vision. They're playing the infinite game. Right. Yeah. And you have to play an infinite game if you're going to be a leader in a, in a fucked up chaotic environment. And so we just haven't had that for a long Derek, time. You're plugged yeah. in. Do you see yeah. somebody coming in and running no. like let's say Kohotech no. runs again is, is anybody worth our time gonna we, run against her we we talked about this last time unfortunately the biggest problem is the the Oregon Republican Party is their own biggest yeah we did enemy. talk about that yeah that's uh, right. they, but I they think that's true nationally too constantly shooting themselves in the foot and realistically yes as, as an organization they have new leadership and their their vice chair Angela Plowhead is a is a friend of mine we don't agree on everything politically but I do I do inherently trust like her ability as a leader the problem we're running into is you've you've got a situation where we we now have 10 republicans that are likely going to be barred from ever running from off or at least for the next term because they walked from, out because they walked out right not only were the walkouts incredibly unpopular outside of the republican party to begin with but these guys thought it was a good idea they they thought it was a good idea they just recovered from the other party having a supermajority. They just barely squeaked it back. And some idiot that is in a leadership position in that group said, hey, let's go ahead and gamble 10 seats. People that are incumbents that have an advantage, they're in red district. Let's go ahead and gamble those seats. Let's see if we lose them. 
That is the dumbest fucking decision they could have possibly made. That is that's moronic. I know I know 22-year-old kids coaching a T-ball team that have better decision making than those individuals showed by doing that. And likely they will not be able to run. I don't I don't care what Tim Canope's kid is running his mouth about on anyways? Twitter. They're not going to be able to run. They're going to be barred from running. It's it's it is what it is. No there wasn't one a viable, Do you think there was a viable candidate there out of those 10 anyways? No, I mean, that's, the, I don't think so. Either. One, of the, one of the big things that that Oregon suffers from when it comes to the Republican candidates is as far as the way they present themselves and the way they get out there, they, they have the personality of a potato. You don't have anybody getting out there There's on the nobody Republican side that is charismatic, charismatic yeah. that's that's whipping people into the a frenzy to vote for The closest we got was, was Drazen. That was the closest we got. Oh, I think Drazen has the, the personality. I'd say, I, I'd say the closest we ever got was probably uh, – who was the, who's the blazer? <laughs> Dudley. Oh, he was uh, Chris Dudley. Yeah. Yeah. He, he sure. Okay, charisma, that's, that's, right? and he, that's a much he better example. Able to want to that's vote a much for better him, example, right? yeah. We talked about it. Drazen was never going to win. That that was not going to happen. Yeah. You know, and, and for all the arguments that, oh, if it weren't for Betsy John, Betsy pulled way more no, it wasn't from Kotech than anybody else. If it weren't for Betsy, Drazen would have gotten straight whooped by the numbers. And that's, I mean, that we have the numbers available. Betsy we have the data gift. available. It is. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Bob Tiernan, he he came in second in the primary. He he might have had a shot. We talked about it last time. You know, he's got that business background, being able to communicate, bringing businesses back to Portland. I I think he actually would have had a much better chance of beating Kotek than Drazen did. Drazen Drazen never had a shot at winning, but she had the resume. She did. Right. She had. She checked all the boxes. Okay, now it's your turn. And I think she was willing to to put the work in. Honestly, oh know, yeah, she has a service, I have a service mm-hmm. mind. I, I, I think that's right too. I, yeah, her and yeah. her husband are great, good people. Don't want to disparage her, and, yeah. her as a person or her work ethic at all in any way yeah. whatsoever. And I think Just, as for a Republican, she was real, she also maybe I mean part of it is Oregon needs a centrist yeah. Republican, and she was she was very I think marketable she's in very that way, relatively centrist. Yeah. I know New a lot Bueller of running and losing for her convinced the Oregon Republican Party that, oh, well, we, we can't, a moderate won't win. We got to go, we got to go to the far side. No, no. I, I mean, Newt, Newt didn't win and it is what it is, but the only way Republicans are going to continue to make strides in Oregon is with those moderate candidates. Yeah. We talked about uh, Lori Chavez, remember, she, she created the blueprint. Follow that blueprint. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. And a lot of these contested districts will likely turn red, maybe not permanently, but they will they will turn red and bring some moderation back to our legislature, good or bad. But I, I guarantee you that trickle down effect is going to make political conversations in Oregon a little bit easier to have, a little bit, be- a little less divisive. A lot easier. We're, we're, we're also talking about um, the the. the makeup of the individuals the best mm. of the left generally get in the politics the best of the right generally get in business yeah so just That's by default yep. you've got That's you've got an right. unmatched yep. kind of fairness of a fight mm-hmm. where the best that would be possibly can as a gubernatorial that's a really is, brilliant observation is running a business right and you can kind of see this playing out and so yeah you can't there's, see there's it a lot out. of a lot yeah. of studies about that in personality and and a, a chunk mm-hmm. of it does have to go it goes towards you know values when they were raised and everything but by and large people that are successful that have left-leaning ideals tend to be drawn to public Politics. service mm-hmm. And then to the extent if you're right-leaning and you're drawn to public service, you do that in the military? They, well, you, not you even do it through because business. the military is You do it through patronage. But you do it through creating a bit because that thought process of public service is 
I'm going to create this this business that's going to create these jobs and that's going to do these good things for people and civic c- civic yeah. community yeah. and I can do contributions. Yeah. Yeah. So just just the way the gen- left mind le- is generally this community like I'm going to hurt everyone together we're all going to think the same and do the same and the right's like cool man you do you I'm going to do this thing over here and you know we can work together if you want but there's not the same organization there's not the same intensity for organization and collaboration as there is on the left. So you don't have a really a fair fight when you talk about who's the best and what the brightest minds in terms of who actually enters the ring. Mm-hmm. And it just plays itself out. And, and unfortunately, it's getting harder and harder here because people are, that would think about it, that are bright-minded, that have some charisma mm-hmm. and ability to actually pull it off, are like, why would I do that? Look yeah. what happens to these people. Well, and they're right? not going to be able to accomplish it in too. this area. If you are a successful business owner in Portland and you decide, hey, I, I think I want to get in politics mm-hmm. – there is zero incentive That's for you right. to move to nope. Lake County nope. where there's 800 people and 795 yep. of them are related. Yep. Like, That's right. Yep. That's right. Yep. Is that where your family lives? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. One of them is bad enough, man. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, yeah. why yeah. would you do that? You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to. So yeah. even if you are the best and brightest on the right, are you going to gamble and try and, and make some strides in Portland where it's likely not going to happen? Yeah. Or are you going to give up everything you've built in your livelihood to go do it somewhere where you can but can't support your business and your livelihood? Yeah, It's the same thing going on in Portland with city council. You can't moonlight, right? So unlike Multnomah County Commissioner where you can do other things, mm-hmm. you can have a job, mm-hmm. Sharon Myron's a doctor. Um, I, know, I know we have some doctors in the legislature. I think that's... A whole other discussion. Um, but but Portland City Council, you can't moonlight. So you're done. Uh, that's your job. And I think they're increasing pay, frankly, to a bizarre extent for that many people. I don't know exactly how we're going to afford it with our tax base leaving in droves. That aside, though, I think that's why we're seeing uh, a lot of – even though I, I – I think everybody who can should run just with a single transferable vote thing. Nobody can explain it. And to the extent you can really win with something like 25% or under, Mm. why wouldn't everybody run? Well, because like you said, Derek, no successful business person, um, unless they literally feel compelled and called Mm. is going to give like Renee Gonzalez. Nobody like that is going to give up their business to run. Lori's yeah. got a big and Lori. And, and, and personal friends, Lori and yeah. Christine and all that. Yeah. And, and, you know, they do, it's just a different, if you do stick your neck out on the left and you're not liked, the amount of press and hate and violence against That's you is Renee. different. Oh, that's Renee it's Gonzalez. Different. Uh, yeah, Marty so. Mildy, right? Okay, you're not going to get on board. We're just going to go ahead and redistrict you right out of your yeah. district. Yeah. It's a vicious game. Congratulations. You were a very popular legislator in your district. We are going to craft a whole area where now you're in a red district, buddy. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Yeah, right? bye-bye. But isn't also – so we were talking about how nationally people are going to be pissed off with this presidential election. Isn't this also playing out on a national stage? This isn't just an no, Oregon absolutely. issue. The Democrats are pissed off because they don't want Biden to run again. They think he's too old. Mm-hmm. The argument is, hey, he's the incumbent and incumbents tend to win. The Republicans, I think um, – in general, want to see Trump gone. Mm-hmm. Although, again, he won. There was a point mm-hmm. in time where he was president. Mm-hmm. And so there's this old adage of let's just run the winner. Um, but I don't think anybody wants to see, I, I don't know anybody who wants to see Biden run against Trump again. No. Do you? No. I don't know. What a are we doing? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, don't, I, I can't like, even have this discussion without like a mind also, belt. Yeah, those parties are also murdering what's themselves. What's funny to me is 
one of the major driving forces behind people, at least at least willing being to, to line up behind Trump. He may not be their number one, but saying, OK, fine, is the polling. Mm-hmm. And if and and talk about that. Well, what does it say? Eight, eight years ago, all the polling said Hillary's going to beat Trump. Right. Yeah, no, that's and right. then Trump won. Oh, it was yeah, this yeah. massive, massive upset. That's right. Yay. Now Trump is running and, and against his his fellow Republicans, he seems to have a very large lead. And with quite in quite a few of the battleground states right now, he's polling very well. And so the thought process is, well, he he's he's going to beat Biden. But if we actually look at the polling that's been produced over the past decade or so and the results in many cases, it's been way off. And Republicans already made this mistake by putting all their eggs into the basket of 2022, saying there was going to be this giant red wave. Yeah. And oh, that, my God. That was that red they wave. Got, that was a they got horrible shellacked. marketing yeah, idea. It might have been a light menstrual cycle. Like, that red was nothing. <laughs> it was a it was horrible nothing. idea. Yeah. It did Smoking nothing like the for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, it was not a heavy flow but, day. But no, now they're turning around and saying, well, what the polling? We we you already lost that game. We already know that that's not what you want to you want to bank your candidate on, and they're doing it again. If Trump does manage to get the nomination, I think Biden beats him again. Unfortunately, I'm not too. a fan of either. I think if you find me a chimpanzee flinging shit, and I will get them to beat Biden. You give me a yeah, couple of weeks, a yeah. suit, and a tailor that can make fit that monkey. <laughs> And they will be Biden. You know, so we were talking about AI a little bit before. So I actually, this is the first time. And you have an AI company. I, I do. And so I have some experience in, in the space. And as mm-hmm. it's, it's coming into the space, I can kind of see the, the evolution of what's happening. And so less about the candidates this year and more about this deep, deep, deep propaganda. Mm-hmm. Right. And when we have this, we've already experienced what it feels like to be bombarded with what we don't know is true or to be mm-hmm. not. Who wrote this? Is it true or not? How's it pulling? And, and now when you literally can't tell what's real, what's not, mm-hmm. if that's really you, if it's really your face, if it's really your voice, if it's really this message, it's uh, it's going to cause a lot of chaos. Mm-hmm. And, and that is what I would like for people to understand is really, really, really guard your minds mm-hmm. even more than ever before. Um, there, there needs to be some filter be put in place that, that you have between the TV and you and the social media, me- mm-hmm. media feeds and you. And, you know, you know how addictive like TikTok is, right? Yeah. You just... Well, you're I, on, are you still on it? Yeah, I'm on a little bit more uh, still, but it, I mean, it's, that's how I learned about you. Yeah, people which is fun. were emailing that's where me we drones. First, first yeah, that's where our oh, first romance. Really? No way. I, I, I yeah. stitched a little little yeah. video that he did. I never never oh, even that's heard funny. of him. Stitched a little video. I think we talked back and forth a little bit. Yeah, and that's then, right. And then yeah. uh, election season rolled around. Yeah, and, here we go. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> I, I I just think that that marketing machine, it can now be like, we were talking prices of running a campaign. Price is going to go way down to run campaigns, to generate material, to generate Mm -hmm. content, to Mm -hmm. disseminate out, to reach people. Prices go way down, which means volume goes way up. Well, it's like the truck driver, right? Who did his own commercial on his iPhone. Yeah. Or any one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Social media as a whole is a, a, this magical in the military, we call it a force multiplier, right? Mm-hmm. The, your, your, your return on investment for what's spent in the social media sphere versus uh, traditional commercial. It, it's not even comparable. You're able to reach so many more people and tailor your messaging so much more directly without having to go through the production costs. And then I need this commercial ran in this market and this one in this market. And now and, imagine a million unique messages. Yeah. 10 million unique messages. They're all personalized. No more mass stuff. We're hitting a point where Mm -hmm. not only is that message tailored, 
but the number of people and organizations that are tailoring that message to specific individuals is going through the roof. And so what happens is, and, and my concern is, you know, like we were talking about education earlier, when it comes to anything that has any sort of political connection whatsoever, we are going to see such a tremendous amount of confirmation bias mm -hmm. amongst people that the ability to find some sort of middle ground, find some sort of compromise or even have a legitimate conversation, it, it erodes and it goes away because, you know, I spent 15 minutes on my phone and I was bombarded with 15,000 I mean. different messages that all told me, yes, I'm right. And you're not talking to anybody in yep. person, you're not, on the phone, and, and, you're, and you're, at, being, you're not gathering. It's like sugar. Mm -hmm. It's like, here's, here's a little candy, here's a little candy, here's a little candy. So I love to get addicted to it. And so that, that confirmation bias over and over and over, look how smart I am, right. look how right I am, because everything I'm Jonathan seeing Hyde is me. And that's what Jonathan talked about in, in uh, Righteous Mind. Mm -hmm. it, it, and it needs to be talked about even more. You There's know, so much data on this. There, there is. We don't, we I, don't have any idea. Like I was talking about the TikTok algorithm, how it's the most addictive, right? Right. So now but you I'm, couple the social media addiction with the confirmation bias yeah. addiction, and that's what part of what Hype talks what about in the about. book, how toxic that combination is, mm -hmm. and that's why we're all so tribalistic and unhappy. Mm -hmm. And add that at scale, like it's like we've never seen before. So we, a society has never had that sort of intense uh, confirmation of your bias versus yours versus mine. We've never been able to do that before. So when a messaging comes through and you are the smartest person ever, and now when I'm because I know yeah. I'm right, yeah. And so when you are against me, that means you must be stupid and yeah. morally superior. And when yeah. I'm morally superior, then I can do anything against you. You're either stupid or or immoral in some way yeah, for not a bad believing person. what I. I believe, right? And it's, uh, you know, it, bringing it back to Portland. And I, I think it's, I, we kind of talked about it a little bit last time too. Portland has hit a level with some of the liberalism that it's no longer just we need to agree. It's you need to agree with me the way I want you to agree with me. And if you don't agree with me the way I want you to, it doesn't matter that the end result is that we agree. Yeah. You're still my enemy because you didn't take the same path. And this is why at city council meetings, Mingus Maps, I mean, this is the place where, you know, George Floyd didn't even die here in mm -hmm. Portland. And mm -hmm. we had riots where somebody was killed. Mm -hmm. um, Mingus Maps is black. He's sitting on city council and he's called a race traitor mm -hmm. at city council meetings by a white lady. I, I was there. I watched her do it by a white woman on the left. <laughs> that, that was one of the craziest things I saw I've ever night witnessed. After night. After night, after night at the riots. I bet you did. A white liberal person in a Black Lives Matter rally shirt telling the black person to shut up because they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Or a over black police officer. And over and over. Yeah. Oh, man, it was, so, it was so crazy to watch. We had a whole segment on that. But, but again, right, social media has told this person that their beliefs are right, that they are right in what they are espousing and what they believe. And it doesn't matter that they have someone who may actually embody all of that saying, no, I'm sorry, that's not correct. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. But also, like, don't you think there's so much cognitive dissonance there, right? Because in Portland, at least in 2020, the drumbeat was, um, you know, Black Lives Matter. We need to put mm -hmm. black people front and center. Well, we, we put a black guy front and center. We put him on yeah. city council. You didn't like what he had to say, mm -hmm. And now you want him off. So isn't that like racist? I mean, yeah, I mean to an extent, also yeah. we're telling him what he needs to say. Yeah. 
I mean, we only really mm-hmm. like black people in Portland if they say what we want them to say. Exactly. And we don't have that many. So, I, I mean, they're lumping. I mean, when the, you're, when it you're was crazy. Weak, when it was you're crazy weak to in your this. position, when you're weak in your value, when you're weak in your like stance, you don't know exactly what's mm-hmm. what conformity is necessary yes. or strengthen you. So yep. the more there people I can, I can convince that I'm right, the more I can be okay mm-hmm. with myself. Well, and the less I have to so actually intelligently defend what I believe, because if I've got 60 people around me and I am unable to defend it, I'm relying upon somebody else to be able to do it, right? I haven't actually gained enough knowledge to really have an intelligent opinion. But if I have people around me and I have that conformity, I'm banking that somebody in the group has done enough research to have an intelligent opinion and, and make me feel validated, but take my argument for me. Because if, if I actually know what I'm talking about, I don't need a group to do it for me. Yeah. 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 There's a lot. There's a lot that's going to happen this this election cycle that we can't even begin to understand the impacts. Like we didn't know what was happening with COVID, mm-hmm. and and I I I really believe that. Like, uh, what do you guys think of Vivek? By the way, oh, R- R- Ramaswamy. Yeah, he's think... a little too earnest for me. Too what was that? Too earnest for earnest? me. I heard him on I a think, Barry Weiss's I think podcast. He is mm-hmm. the political rights equivalent in this year's version of uh-huh. Pete Buttigieg. Oh, okay, interesting. Say you know, more about we, that. Interesting. We like him. Yeah. He's he's articulate. He's an intelligent guy, but just not quite there. He needs to bake a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. thought process. That was the thought of, about Pete Buttigieg, right? And so that's why, well, let's put him into this position where, oh, sorry. <laughs> I just said sorry to the microphone. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> so, you're so kind in your old age. <laughs> we can get him some experience, but he's not in a position where he can, like, actually do some damage, right? I think Vivek is going to end up... Secretary of Transportation, something along yeah. those lines, same as, as Buttigieg. Let's let's get this guy into the system. Let's let it bake for a little bit. And then 10, 15 years from now, maybe he can run for something that actually has some some pull in the position. I think that's the mindset. I watched him the other day say something, and he just ripped, ripped the RNC. Really? You know what I mean? Oh, just, yeah. Oh, he was calling for their, their chairperson oh, to resign oh. and everything. He's yeah. ripping. And that's so, why he's interesting. And so he's interesting. And at the same time, that's also part of that like ex- exposure of the toxicity and the dysfunction mm-hmm. that is an organization that's necessary, right? Like, mm-hmm. If you're going to have any sort of, I mean, we have an illusion of choice anyways in this country. That's a whole other discussion. Mm-hmm. But you have somebody like that that is articulate, that's, that mm-hmm. it's going to cause some dissension that I'm just like, what, mm-hmm. what, what is that for? Well, and there's a huge difference between someone having that type of personality for either the either the sake of divisiveness or because that divisiveness has caused it, and there being a, a you know a, a caricature of a politician. Yeah, yeah. And someone who is who is behaving that, or maybe in a similar way, who's doing it because it's truly authentic to who they are. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you know, way back when I had a TikTok, I had, I had people say like, way well, back kind of, kind of gives me Trump vibes or whatever, because I was, I was being authentic. And every time I was like, first off, do not compare me to that potato of a human being, <laughs> but I get what they're saying. And, and people pointed out some of the differences of like, well, but you're, you know, you're actually discussing the topics. You're not just saying, Oh, everybody believes me. Everybody knows it. So having that level of authenticity is what takes it to the next level. And I don't know if I see that that actual authenticity with him yet. Oh no, no. I think I think right Very now he's, he's 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 a caricature. Practicing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he's a business guy. Yeah. I mean, he's uh he understands what he needs to do and mm-hmm. say and 
And it, I mean, and I've I've heard some things from him that I like, and some things I that I too. dislike. Yeah. I don't I don't have any major opinion on the guy as far as policy goes. Yeah. So, what do you guys think of this? What's going on in the legislature right now? The discussions about Measure One Ten, Oregon's decriminalization of all drugs. Where do you want to start? This is why Anywhere. we make nicotine. You, you are. <laughs> you are. You are. Oregon's great failure, in my opinion. One? And, yeah, I mean, one, well, one of them. Do you yes. really think it's the biggest? Uh, as far as what it was meant to do and what the actual result was, yes. There wasn't a. There I wasn't don't know that a, I disagree with that. I. There wasn't a, a meant to do. There was a hope. There was well, no design of a yeah, meant to do anything. Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the Drug initial, Policy Alliance yeah. never meant to do what, never meant to actually provide detox and rehab. The, the, well, I'm talking about the intent that was that was preached to Oregonians, preached to, to That's vote. what I mean. Right. And, and that's what I mean. So that the worst part about I the 110. I think they feel mm-hmm. like Oregon, me, I voted, I'm one of the idiots who voted for it. I mean, I, was, I, I, I bought well. it. I would have been all for it if they had done it the right way. Here's the reason why <laughs> Did I didn't. Did you vote for it? I, I, I voted in favor of 110. Okay, I feel initially. a lot better now. I okay. didn't, and it's not because initially, I didn't want to. Initially, there was one time. So the, <laughs> oh. we, I'm right there with you. The I, with, I'm going to be here with all the fentanyl addicts and the cockroaches okay. trying to repair this yeah. um, and and just atoning for that because, you until know, the said, end of time. You should be registered libertarian, right? In my mind, it's a, it I, is, if you yeah. want to shoot straight gasoline into your veins right. yeah. in your garage and you're not hurting anybody, no, there's no right. kids. I don't care at all. And well, so that was my thought process initially. Obviously did not turn out that way. Yeah. Well, there's there's two things on that. One, I wanted to vote for it because I believe in that way with the exception of I don't think that's a very kind way to to exist. Meaning like if Correct. you're self-destroying yourself, I want to be there to support you and help you. Right. So mm-hmm. this whole idea is that your problem is your problem isn't a great way to coexist with, with other human beings. But second of all, I didn't vote for it, not because I didn't believe in the decriminalization, but because we didn't have a support system. We yeah. have we rank last in the yeah. country. In, in addiction services and drugs, yeah. drug addiction well, services. Mental, right. mental health services across and the mental, board. And mental health services. So 49th and 50th, right? So if you if you stack that on mm-hmm. top of that, yeah. then there was bound if it's That's the only reason why I voted yeah. against and, it. And them taking away any enforcement mechanism. And, and whether you're for it or against it, if you look at what Portugal has done, which granted, we're talking about a, a country versus a state. We're talking about very yeah. different populations. And also Portugal doesn't have status. fentanyl yet. Yeah, very different cultures to begin with, right? Yeah, so yeah. trying to make a direct comparison was moronic to begin with. And However, as you know... They do have an actual enforcement yes, mechanism built into what they do. Although, as works, you also know, they're losing money. Because, yeah. I mean, the Washington Post just covered this mm-hmm. relatively recently. Because and they're losing money to build out, keep building out mm-hmm. the detox and rehab. And yeah. so they're becoming more they're yeah. looking a lot more like portland it's going to drive them into a position that is is fiscally untenable will for the hit country them. it yeah. absolutely will i think that the biggest mistake with 110 was the the lack of any infrastructure behind mm-hmm. it it's very similar to uh psilocybin right i, I voted in favor of yep. of decriminalizing psilocybin I was part of a a va study yep. where we were using it for emergent therapy post ptsd and it, it it's fantastic. Yeah. However, you know, one of the last things I dealt with as a mayor, right? This was, gosh, I want to say like October. My term ended December 31st. Okay. This is October. And we get told that as a city, we have to decide right now whether we are opting in or opting out of psilocybin in town. 
because they're going to start issuing licenses January yeah. 2024 or whatever, or 2023. Yeah. Meanwhile, we call them and try to ask. They have no answers because they had no no infrastructure built behind it. They didn't even know what their process was going to be for licensing people. And I'm like, who's the idiot who thinks that you need to come to a city and tell them you have to opt in or opt out before the guys running it even know how it's going to be run? Yeah. That's wild. That's where because the, there's money involved. Yeah, there's money involved. There's a lot of money there. It, it's the idea that um, anybody can have access to anything and no support of uh, or education on how to mm-hmm. deal with it was just a mind blowingly stupid move. Yeah, it had nothing to do with my my I thoughts. Of like, you. I want you to have your freedoms and liberties yeah. and pull whatever you want in your body. But as a society, how can you yeah. support that? Well, and, and I guess where the the hang up that I see there is. You know, we're on the same page as far as personal freedom. And I agree with you. It's not a very kind way to live. And if I see someone struggling, I want to be able to help yeah. them out. But from a from a government aspect, from a control how do I, aspect. How do I legislate that? Right. How do I how do I make that a policy? And that's where it becomes very well, what difficult. would you do? Oh, well, I wouldn't because I don't think it's the government's role. I can you agree wouldn't that do it's intervention not, at all. I can agree that it is it is not a kind way to allow your friends to live their life or whatever, right? But do I have any right to control to force you to stop using drugs? I do not. I and think do I have you any do right at the point the government that... to force you to stop doing drugs. No, I think you do at the point that things become so out of that the addicts behavior is interfering with the rights of others well that's committing that's crimes different. pooping on the sidewalk and that we do have laws for right stealing is a crime we will prosecute you for that why can't we though derek like take those crimes and do what kevin barton does in washington county and tie them to the drug addiction and put those people into drug court and and we potentially could what i'm talking about is from a but you a, a personal level can I, but can you don't I like... force someone to stop? Sure. No. And from a, a legislative capacity, right? We have we have the ability to say, hey, you committed this crime and you also happen to be high while you committed it. So we're going to tack on this extra charge. I'm fine with that. I'm not fine with the government coming into your home and saying, we have decided that that gasoline is illegal so you can no longer put it in your veins. Yeah, I think that's really different. But that's the different I, also, that's where I think it. like this libertarian argument, mm-hmm. at least in Portland, has completely fallen apart. Mm-hmm. And th- that's where I think that the ACLU just sort of um, loses steam mm-hmm. because I, it's, I think it's an interesting argument to say, let's go ahead and decriminalize all drugs and, and mm-hmm. you should be able to do whatever you want within your own home. And we can write that all day. I think at the point it becomes really difficult is when civil society starts to deteriorate, like here in Portland, yeah. Oregon. And just, I mean, you guys saw it. I, you must have seen it because Andy and I certainly mm-hmm. saw it coming here this morning. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You can't walk down no. a sidewalk no. in this city without smelling fentanyl, uh, seeing a ne- an uncapped needle, uh-huh. walking past a piece of foil, wa- watching people shoot up drugs, wa- looking at people in gutters. I, the amount of human detritus around here in in downtown portland is one of the saddest things yeah. i've ever seen in my life and also it is infringing on the rights of it's, others it's detroit from robocop yeah, you yeah, can't, it's yeah oh gosh that's what a good movie that was <laughs> but you, there's not a single study that's ever been done on on the psychology of a human being where it doesn't prove that the environment matters oh. on their behaviors so like i was talking about with my kids earlier you provide environment discovery if you put a person in the environment is do whatever you want whatever you want no consequences they're gonna act completely different is hey we're gonna treat each other a certain way you're, you're, you only have so long to live so you do want to treat your body in the right yeah. way like whatever right but the, the whole idea that you can just give a willy-nilly environment without any structure mm-hmm. without any common share experience without any sort of leadership involved there and expect people to not have a problem and then not be there to support them come on 
right? Yeah. And I, I, so Derek, I have a question for you because now we know that fentanyl is in absolutely mm-hmm. everything, right? And we know it's a very, very addictive drug. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Barton's drug courts in Washington County, they have really good data. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they work. Mm-hmm. Obama funded drug courts yeah. because they work. So don't, but you don't, is it just that you don't like the government coercion piece? I, I think that the best way of, of kind of distilling it down is I I don't believe that it is the government's role to legislate morality. Now, if your lack of morality causes you to do something that we have already legislated against, i.e. stealing, killing, whatever, then by all means, we can tie the two together. Right. Like Portugal does. Like, what, like Portugal. When you so. when you start to deteriorate, yes. the government will step if you, in. If you are not hurting anyone else, by all means, do whatever drug you want in the privacy of your home, provided you are not infringing on somebody else's right to self-autonomy. Right. Second you infringe upon that right, we got some laws. We're going to use them to the fullest extent. And because you were high while you were doing it, we are going to go ahead and make it a little bit extra harsh. I'm fine with that. What about the argument that... And, and maybe this is just a philosophical difference, but what about the argument that there's data to support the idea that once we legalize all drugs, we begin to normalize uh, pretty detrimental behavior like, let's say, fentanyl use or let's say, um, you know, people think mm-hmm. that they're doing heroin, but it all has fentanyl in mm-hmm. it now. Um, what about arguments like that and the way that it might things like legalizing all drugs and, and normalizing those sort of things might impact, let's say, children mm-hmm. or, or other people in society. I, I think that's where we run into a difference between having a legislative function and then what is viewed as right and correct in a society. As a society, as a group of human beings, it is pretty easy for us to kind of create some de facto rules about acceptable behavior and how people like Portugal, with each other. Right? right. So we can stigmatize, you're saying we can stigmatize drug use yeah. and we can still decriminalize drugs. Yeah. Like Portugal did. Yeah. And we can, when we can still have an enforcement mechanism to ensure that this mental health issue is being treated appropriately. The, one of the major failures of 110 is really that just we drop the ball on every aspect. They would, this no, is, I think that was by design through the well, drug policy alliance, whether, wasn't whether it? Whether it was by design or not, I'm I'm referring to it from the view right. that most people have. Right. Most, most voters, right? Most, most voters are uninformed. They don't go too much further than just reading the description that's in their their. That was me. That's why I voted for right? And, and, <laughs> Mushroom and, is sweet. And <laughs> I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm I'm self-critiquing right now because I read it and I said, hey. I saw this, treatment. This decriminalizes drugs mm-hmm. and it opens up funding for treatment. Yep. Absolutely. No, I am in the wrong order. Yep. And that's, that's right. And that's what no, I Eric, thought. No, Eric, you're right. And, and you're 100% spot on. What should have happened is we should have had treatment in place, enforcement mechanism, everything in place. And then you say, okay, go. And you let the system play out. And then if the system fails and the system fails, we have to be willing to say, okay, we made a mistake and tweak it. Right. And with 110, that's when he's happening. Unfortunately, with the legislature, I can tell you right now, the Oregon legislature will take no action whatsoever. We know that. It's yeah. No, I happen. think we know that. The, and so the, uh, the Oregon, Oregon Democratic Party yes. has absolutely said we are not we are not coming against this in any way whatsoever. It's, it's not gonna happen. I, yeah, I just had Dr. Kevin Sabet on who's helping us with this effort. And 
he and I both agree. I mean, he he actually thought the chances were better, but I said oh. I said they're actually. I think he put it at fifty fifty, and I said I think it's a lot less than that. I would I would go as far as I mean I'd I'd bet money if a single incumbent Democrat candidate comes out against one ten, I guarantee you the amount of money they receive from the caucus, if any at all, will be less than what they received. I agree with you, but you know what's crazy is the polling says one ten is political suicide. Nobody wants yeah, one ten. All of the polling says the people want it repealed. It doesn't matter. What is that, wrong that with that? Abortion. That was abortion. In every single red state where they have voted to protect abortion rights, they have done so, right? Abortion is a moronic topic for the political right. And we have seen that oh, even, can't, like even people that are registered Republicans are saying, no, we want abortion access protected. Yeah, like right? In to Kansas. different degrees, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Kansas, Ohio, several. We saw how that played out. Nine yeah. states so far have done it. Okay. And yet the the Republican Party still tries to fight it. You still have legislators here in Oregon that are still deeply in bed with Oregon right to life that think that that is a viable issue to hang their political yeah, careers that's on. That's right. It's moronic. It's it's dumb. It is a dead issue. That's like trying but to go back what if and it's, say what if it's the part of their identity. They're in a, in a, like it's not a political move. They're not doing it for the politics or to be on the right. But it's because of their their belief. Whether it's religion. I mean, or I think Derek else. would just say that's fine. Stay out of politics because you're not going to win even on that. that. It's it's. You can you can have those beliefs. That doesn't necessarily mean that needs to be what your campaign. So you think it's a bad strategy? You're fine for having it's a bad strategy. If you want to be an effective legislator Mm -hmm. or or effective in any given role, so you're saying that lead with that. If you want to win, don't lead with that. Don't lead with that. You can. And, and your voting record's going to have to speak for itself. But in Oregon, for any any Republican to make abortion even on the top five list of issues is a dumb decision. I agree. Back on the drug thing real quick, because yeah. you guys hit on the, the um, what'd you say, like uh, decriminalize it, but also poo-poo it, like make it seem not like a good thing to do. What was you the word you guys stigmatize used? It. Stigmatize it. Stigmatize, thank you, stigmatize yeah. it. So that, we saw that. We saw that when they tried to have the war against drugs and whatnot. We saw the epic failure that it was to stigmatize something. So the only That's way- That's true, to... but we did it well with nicotine. I feel like we really did a good job stigmatizing smoking. We did an amazing job with that. Because people were smoking in an airplane. Well, and on a bus. Okay, let's, and let's in put an this office. Way. Look at this. And everyone's like, well, he's smoking right with... next to me. And I smell like cigarette smoke. It's ingested to my city. Like, it's a little bit different because it's such a tangible exchange of a, of, of a violation of my yeah, personal rights. We want have that going on in Portland. In the military. No. What's that? The stigma against mental health in the military. Yeah. Granted, it's going away now. Yeah. But that, Talk about that, that stigma for years mm-hmm. kept soldiers from going and receiving mental health care when they needed it. Absolutely. Right? Because that stigma was important within that culture and it was directly tied to how you view, were viewed as a person and a leader and a soldier. That stigma is going away, thankfully. But... I would say probably for the better part of at least 70 years, if not more, it was a huge no-no for soldiers to go receive mental health care. Right? So stigmas can be very powerful and they can be very effective, but it's, it's how they are tied to the person. And it's unfortunate to say because it's kind of like a, a psychological warfare thing. If you're going to stigmatize drugs, it's not just, hey, the drugs are bad. It's you that's are right. bad for doing drugs. That is that's what the stigma has to be, and that stigma can be counterintuitive or or at least did we do that with smoking? Going I don't think we getting, did that though. Well, it's it's we it, did I like think cessation we did. Secondhand programs. smoke kills people. 
We were telling smokers that if oh. you smoke, you're killing those around yeah, you too. That's right. And that's how we stigmatize them. We told vaccine, same things. But but back to that, the more powerful than the stigmatization is what I was trying to bring up is that you can clearly look to see what what are the elements that are that are in life that a person has and their propensity to do drugs mm -hmm. versus the one that doesn't do drugs. Yeah. Have a close friend, be in a community, mm -hmm. have a purpose-filled job, have some sort of mm -hmm. close relationship, have a puppy. There's all sorts of factors. So, Well, that's that rat park experiment, right? Yeah, there's a whole bunch. About I mean, how when, when you have things going for you in life, mm -hmm. you don't tend to become addicted to drugs, mm -hmm. yeah, which so is just, probably why most people don't tend to become mm -hmm. addicted to drugs. So that's why I think more like the, these these philosophical things at, at a bad level, like we should be thinking about how what the reality is not a marketing campaign of how do I stigmatize something, but how do we provide the environment where yeah. they become irrelevant? Yeah. We don't have to I fight something if we make it more irrelevant. Yeah. So we, we, as a community, we could focus on the elements that bring about the natural decision not to do drugs, whether it's there or not. My buddy's doing it. I just don't yeah. want to because I had this other shit going on. That's like amazing. What? Like what would you do? First of all, I mean, it's, it's very family core unit, uh, a good job that's full of purpose. Like if a, if a person is making money and, and has some like a uh, schedule in their life, they're way less likely mm -hmm. to do drugs. I agree. How do we stat. encourage that though? It's like, not my opinion. It, so yeah. it, as a culture, we've also No, have, it's not your opinion. There's no, plenty it, of it, data to data. support Both all of, of this, data. but how do we encourage this? How do we provide incentives to for that to happen? I mean, I feel like, for instance, this... Um, Arthur Brooks, who was just on Peter Atia, this guy who writes about happiness and who writes about connecting with others, was talking about how, you know, we're seeing all these failures in society. Like we're seeing more broken families. Mm -hmm. We're seeing less faith-based participation. Mm -hmm. We're seeing uh, more polarization, mm -hmm. more, more tribalism. How do we get, and I'm not, I'm not, and, and I don't think he was saying, like, let's get back to the 50s mm -hmm. or something. But I think what he was saying is, <laughs> how do we get community back, um, especially with social media? And like you said, it's all candy. And so how do we stop this sugar addiction that we have, well, in good. essence, to things, things like social media and get back to things like community? In a city like Portland, it's going to be that much more difficult. How do we? Because I know. A I lot agree. Of those, a lot of those aspects and everybody's that at we home. know decrease someone's likelihood to become addicted to drugs or to use, you know, drugs more than they intend to. A lot of those things are stigmatized, at least by the far political left, right? The, the nuclear family, yeah. right? Um, even having, Church, having a full-time job. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't have to have full-time. Like, and don't get me wrong, we can argue the merits of social welfare systems sure. and stuff like that. But specifically those items where... At the very least, the research has been done, and we know this decreases your likelihood to become addicted to drugs or to utilize drugs more than you intend, are things that are stigmatized in far-left liberal cultures as a whole. Well, now gathering, right? Mm -hmm. Because we still see people in, like, full N95 masks outside wandering around Portland, There's two Oregon. right in the hall, yeah. hallway right when I came it's up It's constant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely constant here. And there is a stigma against even gathering, and now nobody wants to come to work. The city mm -hmm. can't get people to come mm -hmm. to downtown to work for the city. Mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the place where they're working, they don't even want to come to Everybody the place where they're working. Jobs and don't get me wrong, a vast majority of the jobs we have out there probably could be remote. I mean, that... Uh, OHA. But doesn't that contribute as, as an to organization? Us? The Oregon Health Authority should almost solely be remote. <laughs> They're not, yeah. but you but know, doesn't that help contribute the to this inability? Yeah, the you know the economic factors you have downtown. Well, if we don't have people coming here to work, they're not going to eat lunch. We're not supporting those businesses. And so we're, but they're also not gathering. They're also well, not meeting face to face. Yeah, we're we're running into an issue where 
culturally we are seeing a a drastic shift that is it really is changing the way americans engage in life right more people want remote jobs that changes our economy that changes them gathering in that a lot changes of ways they're not engaging discussions. they're not you know, engaging in life it really is that's it that's not holistically a massive cultural shift that's occurring yes you know the lead up to covid and post covid yeah microsoft teams in your parents basement yep. is not engaging in life mm-hmm. It, in my opinion that and that's and that's what i was trying to find the words for and this isn't a topic i've ever talked about before but but it, it's just an, an observer we just look at cause and effect cause and effect over and over that's how i view life all day long i don't look for what i want to be true i just like all right that happened that caused this cool do i like it or not okay then i know not to do that or not that's a, just that simple over and over so if we if we just look at cause and effect and if we just simply as a society say oh my gosh i see this is happening i don't need to complain to my politician mm-hmm. i just have to start adjusting my own personal life and I and I affect you, and I affect you, and then you affect her, and mm-hmm. he affects you. Like this isn't this doesn't have to be some like let's let's all get together and just vote and pool our money and vote this person in. They'll fix it for us. Like right now, every single person go. You know what? That does sound good. Mm-hmm. I'd like to call my friend up right now and say I love you. I haven't talked to you for a long time. Mm-hmm. I would like to have dinner tonight with my friends or my yeah. family. I haven't had like it's like it's really that simple. I don't mean to oversimplify it or sound so we, it, no, it that's that simple. simple. I I walk around all the time now, and I, if I see him, you know how rare it is for a man to give another man compliments. I, I do that all is the it? time now. I never thought oh about my that. gosh, it's so rare. I come and you know what it's like when you guys say, "Man, like, oh my god, man, thank you very much." I'm like, "Man, nice fit." You know, mm-hmm. you look good today or whatever. And like, man, that's, like just that. If if just people just Some literally did that, just a little bit of connection, and then you had about a five minute conversation, mm-hmm. that changes the whole outcome of your day. So it doesn't have to be this big whole thing. What do we do? It's like, no. What do you do? Like, it's just a little, a couple little things, and a little those little vibrations just just make a big difference. Mm-hmm. So. I, I, I like to have the idea of a, of a savior and a leader. We can, we can, you know, get this person in, vote this person in. It, it's not that it simple. Doesn't that, it's not that simple. Nobody How has enough power. How do we roll this back, though, you guys? I feel like culturally, we're, especially Portland, I, how do we roll this uh, aversion to getting together face-to-face? And a lot of it seems to be generational, too, right? Like um, people, I mean, they don't nobody wants to call anybody anymore. It's all texting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even my pediatrician, I have two girls and even my pediatrician mm-hmm. was like, um, I, I mean, I, I went to a high school that had the highest pregnancy rate in the state. So mm-hmm. I have tweens They're at some point they're going to be in high school. And mm-hmm. I thought about pregnancy prevention. The last time I was at the pediatrician's office, I just was just like, I don't know, thinking ahead. And he said, you're thinking about the wrong things. Mm. Like, they're not getting together in person anymore. Like, your discussion needs to be centered around online photos, Mm -hmm. which are basically child porn circulating, Mm. pornography itself, and then also pills. Mm -hmm. But, like, pregnancy is Mm -hmm. not really our issue anymore because they're not getting together. I I feel like this is... Isn't that interesting? It's true. true. I have a daughter. It it might be, you know... Every generation has always had something that they kind of like rally against, right? Like rock and roll music, mm-hmm. is right? Bad, sure, right. For me, growing up, like it was it was video games. Mm-hmm. Sure, I remember that. The, yeah. the not rap gathering, music. like <laughs> for a while, that, it was rap music. That may be one of the issues <laughs> of that generation. That was her but, issue. But by and large, we see that a lot of those fears are misplaced because people do adjust. We are we are mm-hmm. incredibly resilient, incredibly flexible creatures when but it comes unlike to our, our, rap our music habits. and and video games though mm-hmm. we have data that says that 
lack of community is bad and social media is not uh, good, right? Yes and no. So if, if we look at video games specifically, right? The, the, if you remember, the person who was the big push behind video games are bad was Hillary Clinton with getting the, the ESRB going and video game ratings and the violence in video games and all that occurred. But now don't we know and that so, there was no data to support well, that? And so there was, there was a, a fairly large study that was done and what was actually found was, no, 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 this is a cultural shift. What right. is happening is now instead of the kids meeting out at the playground, they're meeting up to play video games or they're playing video games online. It may not be as physically interactive, but that's where they are getting their their social engagement. And so they turned around and said, well, that, actually, this is a, a good thing for them. We may not like it. It may be different than our norm, but it's working and we're not seeing these detrimental things. But the I thought the argument for us for video games was that it was contributing to actual violence. Like was if you're the, killing that people the online. The initial argument was and that, that study was done but post, I agree post with Columbine. You. Yes. And they found out like, hey, well, that's really not the case. That that was BS, right? But um, now I agree with you. Now the argument is, oh, we don't like mm -hmm. video games because it's a bunch of kids playing yeah. in their parents' basement online as opposed to yeah, don't running the wrong. track together. Kids still need to go outside. But with the, with <laughs> yeah. the not gathering and the shift to more remote work, along with the desire politically to increase manufacturing jobs in the United States, which those manufacturing jobs by and large can be accomplished by machinery and AI in a greater capacity than they could when we had, you know, robust manufacturing through about the 1970s. So is this creating our cultural shift where we see more human beings working remote jobs and not gathering as much in that capacity? Something I learned with the film is... And you're saying maybe it's fine. Maybe it's fine. We'll know in 30 years. Right. <laughs> right. When I, when I noticed that the film, uh, doing the film project, is that true and ultimate freedom carries a certain level of responsibility that most people aren't willing to step into. Mm. So when you're working from home, you have this freedom to be you know, autonomous, then you have the responsibility to plug yourself into a community. Mm -hmm. You have to plug yourself into doing a healthy, going to the gym. Mm -hmm. You have a responsibility to do that, but that's not what happens. Like people are so free that they choose to be uh, obese. Mm -hmm. People are so free, they choose to be poor. Mm -hmm. Right. People are so free that we, we choose to be unhappy with ourselves, like because it takes a level of responsibility because you're not just guided by the way and you're plugged into a system and then you're out. Mm -hmm. There's a level of responsibility that you have to have when you have these freedoms. And so we have a society with technology and, and with our with our uh, ability to commute and get anywhere because we got a great road system and we got airplanes and all that kind of shit. It comes with a sense of responsibility. And most people are not mm -hmm. also uh, equipped to handle that level of responsibility. Mm -hmm. So then they're left to their to their own and then shit falls apart. So, and this isn't me, this is just an observation. Um, and, and you can see that in other societies as well. And you can see that all the way back to every society, actually. Once you got to a certain point where there's a certain level of income, there was a certain level of uh, softness in society because I didn't have to kill my sheep. Yeah. It just showed up. Then so, shit fell apart. breed weak men. That's it. Good times breed weak men, weak men, what is it? The is it? Weak men yeah. breed something. Uh, uh, bring rough times. Rough Hard times. times. Hard, Hard times. times. Hard yeah. times. That's a good old quote. Um, and was that Joe? No. Joe Rogan um, talks Joe about Rogan it all the time. He talks about it all the time. It's <laughs> it wasn't Joe Rogan. No, but he, he does talk about it all the time. But, but it is. And you can actually see that played out. And that just by itself, you just if you just see that one sentence, it makes all the sense in the world. And so we're saying that, you know, we are in a cycle. And whether we like it or not, this cycle will change. The thing that we typically do, though, as people is that we look back and we're like, oh, those were better times. Yeah. We always, like every generation looks we back to a better the time. Past. Everybody does. Yeah, it's because you conveniently filter out all the bad shit. Mm -hmm. well, it's like right? uh, so. Oh, what's the name? You know uh, Donald Glover, comedian. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, he has this whole spiel about, isn't it wild that just like 100 years ago, you could disappear and people would be like, it was nighttime. <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly, exactly. Bet on him to be out at nighttime. Yeah. It is. It is. I, you know, I, I don't even know what if we were to. Here's here's the thing about being an AI right now that we can't actually we can't actually comprehend the exponential rate of change that's happening. Hmm. Our, our brains are wired to think linearly. I think that's exactly right. Like this, these iPhones, for mm, one yeah. thing. I mean, that the way it's accelerated everything, mm. we, we, I think that's exactly right. We're not geared to it. And so all of that coming at us, whether it's a stimulus overload, there's a bunch of studies on that, or whether it's just simply like, it. by the time I consume what I thought I learned two days ago, five days has passed in, in advancements. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we just can't keep up with that. And so that that pace that's going causes this anxiousness and you just feel unsettled all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's just an unfortunate side effect of technology advancements. But it's not going to it's only going to speed up. I mean, that train has left the station. Yeah. So I, oh, I, a billion percent. Yeah, yeah. And and so that kind of idea that if if this computer that's really, really fast mm-hmm. generates tomorrow's fastest computer generates, it just keeps going at, at a rate we Only don't understand. Only thing stopping it is Red Dawn or the zombie apocalypse. Or, yeah, the Terminators, man. The Terminators that's, are going, yeah. That's, Skynet. That's coming. Skynet. It's happening. <laughs> it's already here. It's already here. But as long as no, we're smarter right. than the robots, we're okay. But that's, I be. mean, you know, I'm already not. Chat GPT 4 is already at 155. Mine's at 160. I'm not the sharpest crayon in the box. So the, the, they've already beat me, but you've got a chance. No, buddy. no. <laughs> you know what? We have no chance. I was thinking about this the other day about how scary intelligence actually is. Right. Like if I was out in the woods and I see uh, a bear, I pretty much know how a bear might kill me. Yeah. But if I see you in the woods and you got a mean look in your eye, I'm more scared of you. <laughs> right. You know, it's a 600 pound bear. Right. Because you're smart enough to do a whole bunch of crazy shit to me. You can trap me. Fair. Okay. So intelligence is the most scary thing. And now we have intelligence. Like I, I feel smart never using AI. And I, I feel like I'm pretty unstoppable right now. Right. But you put intelligence in the wrong hands. You put intelligence in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in some sort of ivory tower that can now take a TikTok algorithm that's so mm-hmm. addictive, you take a super intelligence, you have no idea how much control it could have over you. Yeah. Right? You look, you look at a farmer in a, in a field of all the cows or a goat herder, and you're like wondering, how can I, one man mm-hmm. control 200 goats and get them to do whatever he wants? Because intelligence, yeah. not size or whatever. You got one against 200. Mm-hmm. It's intelligence. Mm-hmm. So the intelligence factor, that that's what we're being manipulated and controlled. And unless you unplug mm-hmm. and have a filter for yourself, you're going to be manipulated. Well, and, and we won't even know about it. That's the problem. Yeah, the only thing we know that's is it. like, yeah, unless you, you know another Snowden pops up, yep. we, we won't even know about it. Yeah. Or a Musk. Or a Musk, yeah. You know, that's necessary to, to, to poke a hole through the veil mm-hmm. of what's being told and say, listen, think for yourself. Hold on a second. You're being duped. Here's how you're being duped. Think about it. Mm-hmm. This is not happening often enough yeah. right now. But we need we need we need those those individuals like you look back and you have big, huge changes in society it didn't come from a politician. It came from an MLK. It came from a Gandhi. It came yeah, from that's right. It came from beautiful individual people that kind of elevated themselves above all the mess that was happening along. So that's kind of been my message is like we don't we don't want to delegate our our, our saving ourselves mm-hmm. to anybody else. Right? Who was our most recent quote unquote, beautiful person or who is our beautiful person now? Or maybe we don't have the hindsight to see that, but who most recently, I mean, you talked about, I mean, MLK, Gandhi, this was decades ago. That's an, that's an interesting question. Do we question. have one of those people in society today or in recent society? There's a whole bunch of them. The problem is because we don't have a shared common experience, mm-hmm. not one has got all the power that uh, we have six, you know, six channels. Mm-hmm. The whole nation is going to see that person. Mm-hmm. 
You have infinite channels. You just don't see them. Yeah. This is another social media phenomenon. Social media technology, communication, uh, going to a thousand channels, Hulu. You just don't have, we don't have a shared common experience. Mm -hmm. That's my point from earlier. So you, you can't have somebody rise up that just infects somebody. It's super hard and super rare. You need a strategy and you need money to do that today. Yeah. Before you could just be amazing. And then people saw that and then that's all you mm -hmm. can see. Now it gets buried, right? Yep. So. That's, that's a bigger problem, but we see that all, I, I mean, I look around, I look for inspiration everywhere I go. I try and like, that was cool. That person made that person smile. That's cool. Because with the two years of the riots, I just saw nothing but shit, right? All day, every day, this vile hatred for everything and anybody. And so now I'm like constantly, okay, we're yeah. gonna look for something like doing something good. So I see it everywhere, but you do have to intentionally look for well, it. I feel like that's where social media is actually like one of the positives of social media though, right? Cause you said you have six channels, yeah. everybody's gonna see that person. You have infinite channels, nobody's gonna see them. Well, social media, media we've only got about six channels right and so yes it's rare but you we've already seen it but like, you can train your algorithm you you can yeah. but when we've seen certain people gain so much popular like become so viral yeah that, justin like, bieber it broke yeah. the algorithm that's and right. across every platform we're seeing yeah that's yeah. right yeah. Yeah. there's there's so many different names the the problem is is i think that we're, we're, we're not seeing them as But are as these frequently. the beautiful people? Like, I'll tell are, you, are these if, the if, Martin Luther King? I if your social media not. is pissing you off or making you frustrated or pessimistic, you're not using social media properly. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, that's right. right. I mean, that, there are ways to use it yes. to increase your, uh, turn off your notifications. I actually turn off your mentions. I had a Facebook page. I had like 90,000 followers or something on it. I turned it off last night. Right, because it just wasn't serving me anymore in that way. It wow. was just more. So it, I, I, I believe in this wholeheartedly that you can absolutely control what what's coming into your mind, even on social media, and especially on social media, actually. Because now when I log in, I'm like, that's a good idea. That person's cool. That's a cool thing. That's a great idea. What I've found funny post military retirement, the and how long has that been? By the way, uh, over a year now. Okay, uh, we're, oh, we're creeping up on two years. April will be okay. two years. Congratulations. Um, thank you. I I think the most like the most positive platform, in my opinion, at least, is LinkedIn, right? Because it's a business platform. I just got and out everybody's, of the I know, we were talking. Yeah. But you, and like, now it's not just me engaging with my friends, right? It's, it is meant to be a business platform, a job search platform. Everybody's on their best behavior because you don't want to be that guy who like, oh, well, now I can't get a job. Yeah. Right? Even so, though they can just go to your Twitter. Yeah. They can go to your Twitter <laughs> right. and be like, but still. this person is a scumbag. And but that's actually LinkedIn, a funny thing. Gandhi, right? Like, but that's the whole thing is like everybody has to be on their best behavior because like somebody is is watching and, there's, and there might be some actual repercussions, but – that's the culture that was created for LinkedIn, right? It was made to be a business platform. So that's how everybody actually, you go to, you go to Twitter yeah. and it's just, you know, people throwing dead kittens at orphans. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, <laughs> who are you following? <laughs> <laughs> that was actually something a drill sergeant said to me Oh my God. many, many years ago. And I, I asked him, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. And he's like, he's like, so what he actually said to me was private Clevenger. You're pissing me off so much. You make me want to throw dead kittens at orphans. Oh, okay. and I yeah, was yeah. Like, it sounds like Wait, it what? Like. And so I asked him and he's like, can you think of something worse that someone could do? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, not really. And he's like, exactly. You're turning me into a bad person. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's the, the, I guess I keep going back to 
self-accountability. Yeah. I, I just can't. Every every argument I ever have, it just seems to be that seems my underlying sort of vibe, mm -hmm. you know, because you can't you can't offload any part of your life to somebody else and expect good things to happen. Yeah. So it, that's just a hard way for people to really set in because it is nice to get help. It's nice to be led. We we're a society that likes to be led. Mm -hmm. You know, as a matter of fact, the other day I was thinking about how interesting it is to have this illusion of democracy. Well, I, right now, I almost like buy into a, like a really good benevolent monarchy <laughs> right, right now. You'd be the right person. You know, I'll be the right person. It. And that's why there's a lot of countries and or cities and states that actually elect, they no, you're an amazing person. We'd like to just for you to handle stuff for us, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, just just go do this thing, right? And it's sort of a dictatership, but mm -hmm. it's it, it's working because mm -hmm. people have bought into this. And But that happens. Where are you thinking of specifically? Are you thinking of anything? Oh, well, first of all, oh, when I travel the world, like, like, like let's say um, some of the like Caribbean islands, right? And although, yes, there's drug problems, this, yes, there is corruption, but as by and large, there's a semi-level playing field of socioeconomic standing, of happiness and things like mm -hmm. that, because they've offloaded a bunch of those concerns. I said, no, you just handle this thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, but that's the problem. We have a country that's such a melting pot with such diversity. We don't have that luxury. And it's such a huge country. It's such a huge country, just not geographically, but huge in terms of thoughts. Yeah. Right. And so when you have that level of like and uh, culture, and, culture yeah. it's a very, very difficult thing to, to manage on a, on a level. I can't remember stable. who wrote it. There was, there was a study several years back where they were talking about if you look at the different cultural phenomenon, like how you have subcultures within a country, the United States should be like 10 different countries. Yeah. Yes. No, that's exactly right. Andy you know, and I were just talking about this before. Yeah. Uh, when before we went to air, yeah. we were talking about the differences between, for instance, the Pacific Northwest and the South. Oh, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. my daughter goes to camp in the South. Just be, out of just pure fortuitousness, mm -hmm. uh, there's a mom at school who was raised in Austin, Texas, which frankly isn't super different from Portland, mm -hmm. but yeah. pretty, actually pretty different mm -hmm. um, culturally and looks different demographically, certainly. Um, once you get down there and also surrounded by a lot of different places mm. than Portland is. I mean, Portland is such a hermetic place, I think. And um, I, I just, it really, it's been helpful for our, our the, my daughters and I to go down there every summer with her and just be in a place that feels like a different country, mm -hmm. frankly. Mm -hmm. I mean, and especially once you get out of Austin, it's nothing yeah. like Portland. Yeah. Texas is nothing like Portland. <laughs> well, I, I know this is groundbreaking. Probably one of the major differences is like, because people compare Portland and Austin pretty frequently, but like, you know, Portland is the, the, the big fish in the small pond. Mm -hmm. That's right. And Austin is the yeah. small fish in the it giant certainly pond. Is. Yeah, that's a good yeah. way to put it. It's funny because when I did travel around quite a bit, I actually, for, for the rides and the movie and stuff, I was actually like a slightly relieved because I did realize what a bubble this is. Mm -hmm. Right. It, it really is quite oh, a bubble. Yeah. And, and I talked to civil rights out. leaders that were in South Side yeah. of Chicago or in Minneapolis that have been there since the 70s and been active, mm -hmm. like, since, like, right. these are yeah. legit OG civil rights movement sort of guys, and right? we don't have those. And they're looking at Portland like, what? No, we don't. No, we have contemporary, we're too new. We're too new. emotionally we're too hijacked, uh, virtuous yes. study <laughs> about like self-reflection too, and even talking to people in Portland how they describe themselves politically versus how other people would describe them. No, talk so about they, that. They took the basically these these definitions of voters and their beliefs and everything, and, and asked people, you know, how would you rank yourself? How would you rank this person? You know, very far left, moderate left, right, that kind of stuff, and seventy percent of Portland voters identified as 
moderate Democrats. But it, when they took those same <laughs> definitions and they presented them to like Democrats in Texas, Democrats oh, yeah. in Wisconsin, all of them were like, that's the fringe fringe. Yep. And I, I know a guy that uh, used to work for SEIU and he is, he's, or maybe he still does work for SEIU. Dude's from Wisconsin, yeah. right? And in Wisconsin, like, he was considered very left, very left. And then he came to Oregon and we were talking. He was like, it's really weird for me because yeah, he's like, right. he's like, yes. I'm a, you know, I'm a union guy. I've always been a Democrat. And he's like, I came out to Oregon and I, I find myself siding with Republicans a lot more than I ever thought I would. And I'm like, <laughs> Oregon, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a unique spot, yeah. you know, but I live here. Yeah. And I'm choosing to live here. And so there's a reason I live here. Yeah. It doesn't have to be downtown Portland. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I go out to the gorge. And but I, we're I also relatively and... isolated, I think, in in Portland. In or mm -hmm. I mean, like you guys said, Portland is, well, I think Derek said Portland's a big fish in the small pond, yeah. right? Yeah. Or the, yeah. it's the only major metro in mm -hmm. the state of Oregon. And also, it's Besides just not a worldly mm -hmm. city. Like, Taylor Swift doesn't even come here. We don't have a right. stadium. Yeah, right. We don't have a football team. I mean, I think people forget how little we mm -hmm. really are and how little we seemingly choose to be. We don't seem to be super interested in business. Mm -hmm. We don't seem to be super interested in easily flying anywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to go to San Francisco or Seattle to really get anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, our, our cultural it's a pretty isolated place, are, really. We're also based in something that, at least from a political standpoint, is now the antithesis of what most people believe because Oregon was logging. Oregon was that's natural right. resource yeah, industry. Right. That was what the that Tell is, that is how it. Oregon became a state, <laughs> that's right? Exactly and right. now every like everything that Oregon was like it, it, it's evil. It's evil to the to, to a lot of the people on the political left. It's it's we need to get rid of it. This is destroying our planet, right? But that's what created this. So where do we go from here, right? Because by by choosing that set of beliefs, we've now wiped the slate clean on what Oregon should be or could be or where we have to go from here. But nobody's got any real direction. I we don't have any any leaders that are saying, "Okay, right. follow me. No, that's I'll right. take you to the next stop." I think with Intel, they were hoping for tech, huh? but they just, I mean, aren't they moving to Germany and things? I mean, I, I uh, they picked up a campus. The big one that we lost under Kate Brown, I want to say, was like went a, to Ohio. It went to Ohio, and it was going to be like a nineteen billion dollar yeah, investment in the state, something like that. Massive. Um, and they've got another one. I do believe that's like Germany or something like that going yeah. somewhere else. That's my understanding too. And so I, we just don't seem interested in mm -hmm. cultivating any yeah. new industry well, here. You've got Nike closing down stores. All and stuff. we, yeah. We'd, Every every large business, every large corporation right. that was a real stakeholder in Oregon yes. and Oregon's future, we are we are gradually pissing them off, losing them, ostracizing them, or de facto kicking them out. And it's it it's wild. Like, it is wild. I don't I don't mind coach making a trade for another player. I don't want them making a trade with no one to fill that vacancy. And we're the, the political decisions that are being made are pushing out all of these businesses. And it's not, they're not political else decisions. Well, and what's so wild too, is what seems to be growing is government. Like yeah. the public sector mm -hmm. seems to be growing. Like look at city council mm -hmm. in Portland seems to be growing like crazy. What I don't understand is how they think they're going to fund mm -hmm. themselves yeah. because business funds, What's those the, oh, what's the latest stat? Isn't it the last 10 years of the budget has doubled 
the Oregon budget has doubled, but our population has only gone up by some small percentage. Like it's it's it's, it's, a, it's, like a, it's a huge gap. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I can't well, I know it right that now. Multnomah County is losing a billion with the B yeah. dollars a year. Yeah. I know yeah. that our, our spending in size in the state of Oregon has doubled in the last ten years, and, yes. and our, not not in commensurate rate with our with our population or our tax base. Yeah, if you look base. at comparisons to though, Portland really is out of control. There was it one is the, uh, the other day. Yes. It was I want to say it Thank was. Comparing like Minneapolis and Portland, Minneapolis, and now and it's not the entire metro. Portland is city, so is you know, Minneapolis population is like six eighty five, and Portland's like six fifty. Oh, I but saw they, that. Then, yes. they, then they looked at yeah, I saw that. You know, what's their annual funding? And Portland's funding it's like a is third. Portland, yeah, Portland's funding is like I want to say it was like seventeen billion annually or some crap like that, and. Minneapolis is like 1.9. Their, like, their total reported number of homeless people in Minneapolis was like 27. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what the argument there is going to be. The argument there is going to be, yeah, because it's freezing cold. It's like Siberia. I mean, it's cold Sometimes. here too. Yeah. It's cold Sometimes. I mean, there is yeah, data to. Yeah. There is data to support the idea that it's not necessarily weather. That's their be, favorite argument. Yeah. But there's, um, there's data to support the idea sure. that there's not necessarily weather because, like, Florida yeah. seems to be doing okay with their managing their homeless population yeah. in a way that we really are not. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are much more hospitable places yeah. to be homeless, but they seem to be managing yeah. it in well, a way that it, we're not at all. It, especially when it comes nice. to anything political. Like, you, you can't ever make a direct one to one comparison. We're talking about sure. giant cities of like but just looking it's, at some of those numbers what you said is amazing it's definitely something that you look at and go there's something what? there but there's <laughs> like, something there yeah. i don't yeah. know what it is yeah but... there's something there yeah, yeah. and as anthony effinger reported in Willamette week we are the in, in portland people making individuals making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more and couples i think making i don't know 200 something or more are um jointly finally together they are taxed at the same, like almost the exact same rate as New Yorkers making twenty five million dollars mm. or more. Jeez. Same tax rate, yeah, almost almost identical. Yeah. It, where is it going? I mean, because we look, at, you'd think we would live be living in Denmark by oh, now. It, it's the bloated. I mean, cost why? Of you would. The, you would. Great. It's it's yeah. it is the the. You think our social services would government. just be amazing? I mean, we're we're the only only city, and I say we. I don't live in Portland. Don't let me in there. But <laughs> we are the only city that we created a new level of government. Well, let's have the metro. Yeah. Why? Our third level What's, of government. Why? We're just going to add this right. in here for the hell of it. And we're going to give them two billion dollars a year as well. Yeah. Okay, but why? So Metro why? is Multnomah, Clackamas, and Washington County, and that's our third level of government. And no one understands what they do, and no one understands where all that money is going. From, from a real estate perspective, I understand, and it's horrific. Same more. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've, I've spent twenty years in the real estate space, right? And yeah. so you have you have some sort of uh, entity where we talk about on one side of the mouth, we talk about the need for affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So I've sat on panels for like affordable housing and discussions about that with politicians and different boards and whatnot. And then the second half of the meeting, it's about how do we raise STC fees and how do we increase the landscaping requirement for an apartment complex? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you just like you just made it unaffordable, yeah. like with the second half of your meeting. Yeah. So it's just a general disconnect of a business sense, right? Of a general practical business sense that we see in most of these organizations. Because because the ideas sound great because they make you feel great, but then they fall apart in reality.
reality. Yeah. And every single time when we see that, we have this, this uh, you know, you have a governing board that's a that's a third tier governing board that has a position to save money and say mm-hmm. it's 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 hypocrisy at its finest, right? So now, and I want to say like there's some well intended people that say we need to fix this problem, but they fix the problem in the exact opposite way and needs to get fixed mm-hmm. because it's the way that they've been taught. We've been in the system like this is the way things work. But we were looking at things, the way things work produce this. Mm-hmm. It produces this. So if nobody has any sort of humility, be like, listen, we've been trying this for four decades. Mm-hmm. And this is the result of where we are. We need new thinking. You, you can't be in the same spot where you are and fix yourself because your own thinking got you there. So, you know, there has to be some willing leader that looks to say, you know what? This is an organization. This is a state. This is a jurisdiction that's doing the things that we want done. Success leaves clues. We don't have to invent this ourselves. Let's go look at that and follow it and, and duplicate it. Mm-hmm. If you do the same thing there, you can get the same results here, essentially, right? Essentially. That's right. The goal. But but success leaves clues regardless. And yet we people sit around these, these big tables and, and start to think of these own ideas. Well, we can solve the problem. Let's, I think this will work. Mm-hmm. No. Let's go look to see what else exists. We're going to send a body over there. We're going to study everything that works. We're going to bring it back here. Boom. Well, and it's important to recognize that in, in the political sphere, the individuals that are having those conversations are rarely the ones that should be. Most of our elected politicians, and I say this as a former one, are fucking idiots, right? Did I go into the role of mayor understanding how a city ran? No. No, right? So we turn around and we we elect someone for their 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 public service record. You worked you worked with the food bank and don't get me wrong, those are all good things. Does that mean you know shit about running a state? No. No. And so then we get these people that were were being led by individuals who are not subject matter experts and they're not necessarily going out and cultivating subject matter experts. But you didn't either, but you became one. Yeah, because I'm way too arrogant to fall on my face. Like that that was really the role. Like, How do we cultivate more Derek Clevengers? Don't don't even speak that in the universe right now. I know. I yeah. no, 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 I know my question. audience who we, want to serve publicly. We, we, or, or more Renee mm. Gonzalez's or more Mingus Maps's, more more people we who are interested in what works. Politics on such a weird pedestal in the United States. Yes, we have. I agree. And that it, we it's, like it's, it's like because, football. It's a religion. We, it is we, a yeah, religion. and we it's a cult. We look for these these specific things that are not really necessary. And and people, you know, they look at the at the president and they look at, at Congress. They have far less impact on your life than right. most people realize. And, and they're not and looking at their family. They're not looking at the things that yeah. really impact. If you them. want to get involved, go to a city council meeting. Yeah. Go to a city council meeting and maybe someone at that city council meeting will tell you well, it's really complicated. You wouldn't understand. And maybe you'll get pissed off and maybe you'll recall half the council and then maybe you'll become the mayor. I don't know. It's <laughs> happened before. <laughs> that's funny. Like, that's a good story. No, like Derek that's, literally mm. just recounted his political. Yeah. How did I get but here? That's his, what people his political need to rise. Do. Yes. Go to that, go to that, that school board meeting. Go to that city council meeting. And most of the time you're going to sit there and be like, God, this is a waste of my time. This is so stupid. But maybe you'll hear that one thing that makes you go, wait, what? And then you get invested in that issue. And then that turns into those around you getting invested in that issue. And then that's how you end up on city council. That's how you end up in those positions. And it doesn't mean you come to the position knowing everything, right? But like from there, you have to take the role seriously and say, okay, well, how do, how do I do this job to the, to the utmost? And it, it, some people just aren't going to do that. 
some people are will get into elected roles and they are fine just keeping the seat warm and being happy with it but finding those people that get into the seat and say okay now i need to learn this job now i need to figure out how i can put my beliefs aside and represent the people that elected me instead of representing myself that's what that's what people have to do mm-hmm. and it's it's hard to find those people mm-hmm. i think that's a good place to wrap up this was great <laughs> I mean, I don't want to, but I know we all we all have our own lives and our own families to go back to. This was great. I hope you guys yeah. come back. Appreciate the conversation. It was actually a lot of yeah. fun. I've had a conversation like this for a while. Yeah, it's a good yeah. time. Yeah, it's all a good time. Thanks for the invite. Of course. Appreciate it. Good to see you, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So fun. Yeah, and thanks for thank you so much for. Did we did we get Andy taping. on camera yet? So I know knows. Andy. I, I want to turn this around. This is. <laughs> I, Andy has a show called Northwest Fresh that. You should go check out on YouTube, and he's doing our videotaping today. Anyway, thank you again for joining us, Eric Post and Derek Clevenger. This has been a lot of fun, and thanks for tuning into Rational in Portland. Mm-hmm.